in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse the very stain and save our souls, O good one. Last uh, month, we, with God's help, we heard the life of Elder Paisios, a shortened version. And today I wanted to continue that, but this time to speak about encounters with him. I mean, we did a little bit of that last time as well, but today specifically I want to go through a few examples of people who met him and their experiences. There's a number of ways we can go on this, but I think we'll go straight into some examples and then I will take you in a different way and then I'm sure you'll find that beneficial. So as we said, Elder Paisios passed away in 1994, which is 14 years ago. He died at exactly 70 years old, which is interesting because we know from the Psalms that Prophet David says a person lives three score and ten, which means 70. One score is 20, so three scores three times 20 is 60, plus 10 is 70. He goes, more than that is just suffering. So he actually passed away at exactly 70 years old. Perhaps he prayed, perhaps he asked God that... And remember, when he was in hospital, after that major operation that he had, and he had all those tubes, he actually also said to the doctor, what's, the, um, what's my situation? And the doctor said, you haven't got long. And he goes, how long? He said, maybe a couple of months, whatever, I can't remember. And then he said, the elder said to the doctor, do I have to wait that long? So the saints did have this uh, spirit of wanting to leave the earth so they can be with God. St. Paul also had that desire to leave this life and be with God, but he said, but for the sake of the people, he'll stay behind. In today's world, people have this thing about living for a long time, but with quality of life, and then if they don't have quality of life, then they start to, um, in many countries, practice this thing of euthanasia, which is to, if the person wants, he can die, with uh, suicide ways, you know, assisted suicide, things that used to be illegal. Slowly, slowly, I think in Australia, that's why they're doing those films. Whatever they want to pass, they will do the films. As we said, in the old days, it was abortion, all about abortion, very emotional films about abortion. Slowly, slowly, that was passed in 1973, I think, in America, and I think here too. And then... Another one is women's rights. They had a lot of films on that. And the women's rights have gone to the point that men have no rights. That's another story. Then we go to homosexuality. We know that that's been now quite a lot. There's a lot of films on that. Emotionally done, nice music. And that helps people to become more favourable towards it. And the other one that they're doing a lot now is um, euthanasia. So, 
for the saints, they didn't look at staying here forever. They looked at being with God. When we have that, that we want to be with God, then why do we have such an obsession with making ourselves live as much as possible to the point where people become ill with anxiety about their life and not living their lives in God's hands that God knows exactly when is the right time to take us. People are scared of age, people are scared of sicknesses, people are scared of cancer, people are scared of this, people are scared of that. One person last week, last month, he said to me that uh, here after the talk, he said to me that when you mentioned, or when you mentioned the talk, meaning myself, that Elder Paisios asked for cancer and he got it, and that uh, and then another saint actually said that cancer comes out of paradise. In other words, that cancer is very useful to help us repent and prepare for the next life. And also the fact that if cancer was cured, then God will have to send another sickness so that there has to be something which is going to allow people to enter into paradise. Without sicknesses, without problems, then people just forget about God, forget about the next life, they don't care about anything. And this person said to me, I find that difficult to accept that this thing about wanting to get sick or etc. and all that. And I said to him, you are correct. This is a very high virtue. And I, if you came to me and said, I have that virtue and I pray that God can give me sicknesses and things like that, I would say to him that probably you are deceived. So that person was sincere. He said that he finds it hard. We all find it hard because spiritually we're not advanced like the saints are. So therefore we have to be more accepting of our situation, which is that we have fear because we have a lack of trust for God and we also have a lack of love for God. And this comes with time as we struggle in our spiritual life. We mustn't think that because we heard it or read it or we heard it in this talk or we've read it in books, uh, the saints wanted to get sick, they wanted to suffer, that that means that automatically we're going to do that. We mustn't pray for things in a very, uh, what's the word called, uh, in a very silly way, like not even thinking. Example. I said to someone many years ago that it is a great uh, gift for God to give us self-knowledge, pain of heart. In other words, self-knowledge meaning for us to see ourselves. And this is a great virtue because not many people see themselves. Actually, we're quite blind. I think bats are better because at least they've got their sonic things, whatever they've got, and we are so blind that we hit our heads in every part of our lives, but we still don't wake up to look at what's wrong with us. But anyway, and I said to this person, this is a great virtue. So this person, with no preparation, with no humility, began to pray to God and asked him, asked God, to give him spiritual insight to know himself. And he kept on asking now, you might say, but isn't that good? No. Even Elder Paisio says that we shouldn't even ask for love of God prematurely. 
How can we love God? It says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. In other words, when we acknowledge that God has forgiven us our sins, then we begin to have love for God because he has forgiven us. But if we haven't really, re if we haven't really repented, then how can we love God for what? Because he gives us good jobs or he makes our children have good education. No, we love God because he's good and in particular because he has forgiven us our sins and forgives us continually. And that's why when the, the pagans said to the apostles, what should we do? He goes, repent and be baptized. They didn't say love God. They said repent and be baptized. Love of God comes later. As time goes on. So we mustn't ask for things prematurely. This person asked to see his sins. And all of a sudden, his spiritual eyes were open. And he began to see himself. And when he began to see himself, he began running. Running from who? Running from himself. He began to run from the priest. He began to run from God, from the saints. From his family. He, he didn't want to be told anything. He didn't want to be told any of his faults at all. And I remember he told me, because this person, I think I've mentioned this before, this person had uh, an operation once. And it was a very painful operation. I think he got infected. I don't know what he had. Maybe he had appendix or something. And I think the operation wasn't very successful and he became infected. And he was in a lot of pain. And he said to me, I'd rather go through a hundred of those operations and the pain that I went through rather than to see myself. So in other words, he asked without humility. He asked to have self-knowledge so that he can show off that he's got self-knowledge. It's like, it's just so stupid of people saying to God, I want humility so that they can show off that they've got humility. But that's opposites. That's completely opposite. Humility does not equal pride. So we don't gain humility so that we can show off that we have humility. And that's why Elder Paisios and many other saints say, don't ask for things prematurely. Everything comes with time. But how do we know when the time is? How do we know when to ask, when not to ask? How do we know what to do? We don't. A lot of times we don't. That's why we go to spiritual fathers. But what happens if the spiritual father hasn't got much spiritual knowledge, which is, which is true? Or because someone confesses, or because a priest can confess someone, it doesn't mean he has spiritual knowledge to be able to guide the soul. He can give absolution as a priest, but it doesn't mean that he can uh, guide. Because guiding the soul is one of the greatest things, very difficult. So what do we do in our situation? Well, humble ourselves to the best of our ability, listen to others around us, try and seek out spiritual fathers that, have, that are more spiritually progressed, even if you have to write overseas to Serbia or Russia or America, they've got good ones there. Elder Ephrem, who has established in, in America 18 monasteries. Not in, that's not included in the ones that he's established in Greece. And he's, he established around four or five in Mount Athos. 
I mean, to establish even one monastery is a big thing. And when anyone tries to uh, lead a monastic life, they get smashed. Imagine this man who actually, he's actually a spiritual child of Elder Joseph, another Greek saint, which we have in the book at the back. This person has established in Greece, or that's monastery, and he went to America and Canada, and he has, I think he's established 18 there. 18 monasteries in America, whereby they do the liturgy every single day. This, and there's a lot of slander about him. If you go on the internet, you'll see slander and slander and slander. And I don't listen to any slander because to me, if a person's established 18 monasteries, plus another four in, in Manathos, plus the other ones in Greece that he's got, this man has to be obviously a, a, a spiritual giant. Now, why do I say that? Maybe you don't understand. From my little experience of just trying to lead a monastic life, a small monastic community, just a small one trying to establish, and I know what I went through, what I'm going through, therefore how then can I not look up to this man that's established all those monasteries? So, yes, he, he's overseas, there's Serbian elders, there's a lot of, there's all these different people. If you can find one in Australia, that's great. If you can find one next to you, that's great. However, not all priests can guide souls. Doesn't mean because it's because they're not holy. No, because it's a special gift. I'll give you another example. There was, I read in the Yerondiko, the Book of the Fathers, that there was a, a monk. He was holy. He was actually a holy man, pure, full of grace. He was a pure person. But when he tried to guide souls, he caused them to go into a disaster and be lost. So how can that be? How can a man who's holy, a person who's struggled, when he tries to guide someone's soul, that they actually can go to hell? They can become deceived and fall away. How's that? Because not everyone has that what we call gift. That gift is given to few. It's a special gift that God gives to certain people, not to everyone. Even if the person does miracles, it doesn't mean that they can guide souls. So we have to get that out of our head and say, oh, that person did a miracle. That means he can guide souls. Priests do miracles all the time. Priests read prayers. Priests serve liturgy. Priests can, can get someone out of hell through, by doing memorial prayers and liturgies for the person. All priests have done miracles. All priests have seen miracles. But it doesn't mean that all priests can guide souls. Elder Paisos wasn't a priest. Now, George, if I remember right, asked last month, why didn't he become a priest? And when I answered him... What I thought, he wasn't very happy, wasn't satisfied with my answer. So as I was researching my work, I found the answer for you. So we'll come to that soon. Let's look at this particular person who wasn't a priest, because this gift can be also given to a lay person 
in the history of the church, we have had lay people, people that weren't monastics, people that weren't priests or deacons, who actually, bishops, who actually uh, had this gift, which in the epistles of St. Paul, he actually calls it, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and varieties of tongues. Which one is it? The one I'm speaking about is the one which says second prophets. Prophets. In other words, Elder Paisios was a prophet. Now, we think that a prophet means someone who can tell the future. Now, many of us have been have distorted views of that because some of you have watched Nostradamus and others have watched many other things that are really quite confusing. And therefore, and even people that are in the church don't actually truly know what a prophet is. We have the old prophets in the Old Testament, Prophet Elias, Prophet Ezekiel, all these people, Eliseos, they were prophets, but not just people who spoke the future. So what's a prophet? Actually, Elder Paisios is what's called a prophet. He actually has those gifts which those prophets had. And what are those gifts? Well, let's see. We'll go for a few. And as time goes on, I think you'll understand better. One of the gifts is clairvoyance. Clairvoyance is someone who knows what's in the person. He knows the person's past. He knows what the person could be suffering from, what's his passions, what's his virtues. He knows the future, etc. That's what clairvoyance It says, a monk from one of the monasteries of Manathos, and I, this is a person who writes, were inside the elder's cell, sitting at the guest room. So they were inside Elder Paisios' cell, in his house, in other words, which they call cell. Suddenly, a visitor rang the bell of the front door. And when we mean bells, we don't mean bizz electric. We, a bell over there might be a piece of metal, and you hit a, a metal, uh, like a nine, which I know because I've been there, and that's what it was. It was just a piece of metal, and then you just hit the actual um, piece of metal to get the elder's attention. Father Paisio stood up and went to the window to see who it was. We also stood up next to him. He said to us, someone is ringing the bell, but I don't know him. So obviously he didn't know who the person was. He's tall and wears glasses. He looks like a civil engineer. You didn't go to Manathos, did you, Gregory? That's it, Mike. Can't be you. Um, the elder dropped the key using a rope. That was interesting too. Actually, when I first started going to, to Mount Alphos, and I went in my early years there, back in the 80s, the house, so the fence would be where that wall is there, and his house might be, say, at the back of this hall. And then he had a wire, which came from his house, from, from his cell, right down to the fence. And when you would ring the, or hit the metal, and then he allows you to come in, he would drop the key from his property along the wire, and then you would get the key, open the, the, the gate, which was locked, and then he'd pull the key back up. That's what it means. See, it's, this is why I like doing um, things that I can relate to, because then when I can relate to it, then I can better give it to you. Some people say, oh, why don't you do a Russian elder? I, I will try and do that, but it won't be the same because I have not been to Russia. 
And therefore, when they speak about things, I, I can relate to some of it, but not the same here. See, that's interesting. He dropped the key. You wouldn't understand, but I do, because I actually have experienced that. And he allowed the person to come in. We all sat together while Father Paisius went to bring him a treat. That was one of the practices of the elder, that when someone would come, he would get the lukumia, which is a Greek, like what's called Turkish delight, like a little sweet, chewy sweet. It's got powder, um, ice and sugar on it, and also a glass of water. That was, he would give that to everyone that would come. And where do you come from, said the elder. And the, and the man said, uh, Yanina, which is a place in Greece. Anyway. What is your profession? And the person said, a civil engineer. Have you been here before? No, this is my first time. Meanwhile, Father Beast came with the treat and we said goodbye and left. So that there is what's called clairvoyance. That he knew what this person was without having met him. I will talk more about that. Let's go to the next one. Another example. Father Paisius was sitting in the garden of his cell. He had a garden. See, when people discovered that there was another way into, the, into his um, property, there was the front way where they dropped down the key, and then people found out the secret track, which was around the side. You go up the side of the property with a big gate, with a big fence. You go around the back, and that was the back gate. And when people started finding that out, then they were hitting the door there and you had to come out and open up, etc. But at summertime, when there was a lot of people, a lot of tourists would come, and a lot of people that come in to see him, there could have been, he might have been seen, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of people a day. A day. And he had logs where people would sit. Just logs, you know, chopped off logs about that high, and they were the, the, they were the, um, the seats that people would sit on. And people would wait. Some people went out of curiosity. Others went with a lot of anxiety, wanting to see the elder to ask him some questions for their life. And you could see people were biting their um, nails and others were really nervous. They wanted to see him personally. Even though just being there would have been, is also, you get a lot. It not necessarily means that to see him is better than someone who didn't see him but just got his blessing. So... A few pilgrims were working through the pathway, that's what I'm saying, leading to the older cell. Father Paisus looked at them from afar and turned to Father Arsenios and said, that was just a priest that was there, a monk, and says, they look like they come from the island of Corfu. Corfu is an island of Greece. When they arrived, the older asked them, where do you come from, folks? Uh, and they said, from the island of Corfu, Father. Well, sit down and let me bring you a sweet. So there we see... A second example of the elders' clairvoyance. The word clairvoyance was quite unknown up to recently. Now on television, because of these psychic shows that they have, psychic detectives, the world's or the best psychic, now they've got another one called Psychic Children. All, all these shows, these people actually speak about their gift and they say, I am a clairvoyant. This word might have been known to some religious people. It might have been known by some people who might have studied into the um, into these uh, spirit, uh, spiritualism. But in general, people did not know what is a clairvoyant. But now, this word clairvoyant, medium, 
etc is being used quite a lot and someone said to me I notice on every one of your talks you always speak about mediums you always speak about uh, these psychics and he goes I can I can see why you do it I go why is because it says it's just all over the television and I question and I say well if it's all over the television and people are becoming deceived because of it including Orthodox Christians then why don't we hear anything about it in the churches and the answer is I'm not gonna say it you have to work that out yourself because if I if I say anything it's like I'm judging but it does make me angry of why these things are not being said when Orthodox Christians lose themselves. It's in the newspapers, tarot cards, every type of spiritualism, which before up to maybe 20, 30 years ago, these things, we had, you had to go to some dingy place, maybe at the cross or some other place, to go and see these people. Now it's everywhere. And especially on the television, so that everyone sees it. We've got that, that Edwards fellow, we've got other psychics and children now, and they, 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 they see dead people and all these things. You can't see dead people. Dead people, once they've died, they stay where they are. No dead person can come back to this life and appear to anyone except if they have found uh, grace with God. In other words, that they, have, that they have become holy and then God can permit them, because they're saints, to come, to come back and appear to someone. As for the others, some of you might say, I've read in Orthodox books that um, someone's father appeared to someone and said, please pray for me where I am, I'm suffering, etc. And then someone can say to me, well, you just contradicted yourself because you just said the dead can't come back unless they've been saved. If this person's asking for prayers, obviously he hasn't been saved. So how did he come back? He didn't come back. So then who is it? Someone might say, oh, it's the demons. Sometimes it is the demons playing tricks to people, which, well, not sometimes, most of the time. So if, if, they, if they can't come back, then who, who's the person? The guardian angel of the person that God allows to come back where the guardian angel appears as the person because the person cannot leave wherever they are they cannot leave and it is the guardian angel which appears the person's guardian angel takes the form of the person and asks for prayers or even can warn but I don't like mentioning a lot of those things because people then will start trying to communicate with their relatives. Leave the relatives alone. They don't, you're not helping them to communicate with them because if you're going to try and communicate, you are automatically breaking God's law and you are opening yourself up to demons. And that is absolutely dangerous. Whenever you go to a psychic, whenever you go to a medium, if you have any type of, even out of curiosity, once you go to these places... You are actually, as Father Paisio says, you have actually entered into a contract with the demons. They own you. They now have power over your soul. And therefore, to undo that, you might say, I'll go and confess. Yes, you can go and confess. Won't God forgive me? God forgives everything. What's the problem? God does not allow the influence to come off the person. The person will be tormented 
some more, some less, by the demons because they went there in the first place. It might take a lot of work to get those things off. And that's why the church says it is one of the worst sins. Don't go there. You can't communicate with the dead. The only thing you can do for the dead is to pray for them, fast for them, give money to the poor for them, uh, 40-day liturgies, especially in monasteries or churches that have it, like, well, none, there's none here, but, for example, in America, Saint John, where St. John's Relics are in San Francisco, they do service every day, and Jordanville, and then all those monasteries of Elder Pacers, and in Greece, and Jerusalem, and Serbia. There are so many monasteries that, that actually do services every day, every single day. That is how you help the dead. Communicate for what? What do you want to say to the person? Why do we have to communicate with them? And actually, by trying to communicate with your dead relative, you are actually making their souls worse. If one can measure torment or whatever, wherever they are, if they're having that much torment, by you trying to communicate, you add to their torment. Don't do those things. Elder Paisios wasn't a psychic. That's the difference. Elder Paisios did not communicate with dead people. Elder Paisios did not do what these people do. And a lot of these things that these, that these psychics do have nothing to do with salvation, have nothing to do with truth, have nothing to do with anything. Sorry, they do have something to do. They have something to do with putting a message across, which is in Talks 1 and 2, which I did a few months ago, Life After Death, etc., and The Truth About Death and Dying, in there, and there's also books on that matter, read and understand. Read with humility. Understand what's going on in the world. If not, we will be dragged into the incorrect teachings which are existing today, and it can be fatal. You have to understand the difference between their clairvoyance and God's clairvoyance. And some of them are clairvoyant. Some of them are uh, deceived. They have no powers whatsoever. Some of them do have powers. Some of them do say things. Some of them can, can um, say what profession you are. Some of them can say where you're from, just like Elder Beasus did. But if the elder did it and they're doing it, that means that they're elders. I doubt that those people are elders. I doubt that they have any holiness whatsoever as this person. What does it mean? What I'm trying to say is this. For a person to have clairvoyance, it's not enough to show that he's holy. That's why I started with this, because this is what interests people, whether it's for Russian starrets, Russian elders, or, or Serbian, or whatever. People are very, very much intrigued by this stuff. He knew my name. He knew where I work. And people are extremely interested in this. And I, I remember once when I was a lay person, I was, in a, I was in a monastery in Greece, and they were going on and on. They said, oh, Elder Paisios, he knows your name. And I just said, out of simplicity, I said, um, it's not enough just to know your name, because even psychics can say your name and guess things. And they got upset. They became really irate and said, you're calling Elder Paisios a magician. And I said, I didn't say his image. I'm saying it's not enough. These people are a bit, bit, I don't know, 
spiritually retarded. So, let's go on and we'll see more of the clairvoyance of the elder and compare it to these other clairvoyants. The elder was sitting outside his cell talking to a group of pilgrims and father, a father there was watching him talk and was wondering with admiration the, this other monk was looking at the elder speaking to the lay people. And this father said, how is his soul related to divine grace and how pure he must be in order to allow the grace of God to function? That's a really good point. He actually said, for this person, because we're going to see what else he can do, not just the clairvoyance, but anyway, he knows, this person knows what, in total, what, elder, what the elder could do. He said, for him to be able to do what he does, how pure he must be so that the grace can come in him. I'm an elder. Like, I'm, I'm, I've actually got um, these qualities. Do you get the joke? Because I'm actually joking. How can I be an elder when I have passions? When I have, I'm still battling with my passions. I'm full of passion, so therefore I cannot have this type of purity, this type of gift, which comes from a pure soul. That's why I said it on purpose like that. If you wanted to laugh, I wouldn't even get offended. So this person said, this elder must be so pure for God's grace. God's grace can only come in a soul which is pure of the passions. Does that mean that God doesn't come in us that have got passions? God comes in all of us, but a lot of times he can't stay or a lot of times we shoo him away because we are doing sins. When we repent, then God can come back in us. But God cannot be in a person who is a sinning, doesn't repent and doesn't care. And because we sin often, the grace comes, goes a little bit, we commune, we feel a bit better, and then all of a sudden we feel the same. Why? Because, because of the, we are so much in the passions. These elders were so pure that they kept the Holy Spirit within them. And that's what this person was admiring. While he was having these thoughts, Elder Paisios interrupted his discussion. Um, he was having with the others and said to the father, turned around to him and said, are you wondering how it looks inside? It is full of dirt and stench. And then continued his discussion. The pilgrims did not understand what the elder meant by these words, but Father E, whatever his name was, was astounded. So some can say that sounds contradictory because he just said that the saints are pure, but yet he just said he's full of dirt and stench. In other words, that his soul stinks. Actually, the, the more one progresses in their spiritual life, the more they see themselves, the more they cleanse themselves, the more that even the slightest thing can make them feel defiled. Even the slightest. Like for us, we could do the worst sins and we don't hardly feel anything, if at all. Because we are quite insensitive to sins. Because everything around us is pointing towards sin, 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 everything. And therefore we don't feel it. A lot of people come to me and say, I don't feel my sins. I know I'm doing them, but I don't feel them. The elder 
was so pure. See, it's like um, water, a nice, a nice glass of water, gl clear glass. It's clear. When you put something in it dirty, you see it straight away. That's the same as the soul. When you do something small, you see it because you're already quite clean. But as time goes on, if you keep on dirty in the water, dirty in the water, dirty in the water, after a while, whether you put more and more and more, there's no difference. It's filth. So that's why the elder says, I'm full of stink and I'm full of dirt, because the more the saints progress in their spiritual life, they truly do see, because for them, even a moment of not thinking about God to them, that's a sin. For them, even... Uh, having a passing thought with someone, a judging thought, for them, they feel it really quite substantially. We don't. And it is that humility which they have which God then gives them more grace. That one was another one. Now, here's one which I said to you last month. Six fathers and I was... Not me, the person that's writing the story. Six fathers and I were sitting on the grass outside the elder's cell listening to him talking. All of a sudden, a young man who looked like an anarchist, like a revolutionary type of person, we have a lot of them around, with long hair and a scarf around his neck, arrived. He asked somewhat impolitely, where is this Paisios? I think I told you this last week. Some of you weren't here, so we'll go through it again. Where is this Paisios? Like the rudeness of him. Anarchists were the cause of the revolution in Russia. Like, yeah, these people uh, want to—they don't like um, government. Or anyway, it's not. He was—he was, he was um, one of them anyway. The elder stood up and went close to him and told him, "What do you want him for, young man?" "I want him," replied. The young man had a pack of cigarettes in the left pocket of his shirt, and Father Paisios pointed it out at him and asked him. What do you have in there? The gospel. Now, the elder was quite... He had, he had quite a lot of uh, humour. He was a very humorous person. You'll see as time goes on. A lot of humour. Some elders were like that. Some elders would never say any joke at all. God has different ways for different people. That was his nature. He used his humour to put his points across. Some of the obstinate elders, some of them were like I think it was Elder Moses, serious as, never, never really, probably never laughed and, and things like that. Lazarus, who died after four days and he rose again, it says in, in his life, the tradition of the church says that after he came back from the dead, he never, ever, ever, ever laughed, smiled, he was very serious. Does that mean we have to do that? I'm just telling you about himself, okay? If you try to do that, you wouldn't work because that's not our nature, especially that we weren't dead for four days and went into the dead, saw what was down there and came back. This person's different. And um, when he came back, he never did, except for once, as it says in the prologue of St. Nikolai. I think it said that he once was... Uh, he, had, he had a little bit of a... He kind of giggled a bit, and then the people were wondering, oh, why is Lazarus la uh, smiling a bit, which he's never done before? And they asked him, and he said, this is for him. This is what he found humorous, that he saw someone stealing a pot. 
And he said, clay is still in clay. In other words, we're made out of clay and the clay is still in the clay. For him, he found that a little bit. That's the only time. Now, don't go away and start saying, oh, I went to this talk and the priest there said that we can never smile and never laugh again. By the way, Christ never joked and Christ never laughed. Why? Because this is... Sorry, for us, what we do is from our fallen nature. Christ was perfect man and perfect God. And he understood the things about life and salvation, and he never had that. It doesn't mean that we have to become the same. But, it, but it's a good lesson in some ways to say, well, maybe we overdo it. Maybe our life's just one big ha-ha, as the Greeks say. You know, Greeks say, oh, here's a ha-ha. And a ha-ha means exactly that, ha-ha-ha, continually, 24 hours a day. People laugh and laugh and laugh and joke and laugh and joke and laugh and joke. It's just too much. There's some seriousness that's needed at times. We've gone to too much of an extreme. But don't misinterpret. Some elders never laughed. Some elders would not joke. Some did. Elder Leonard, one of the obstinate elders, he was, he was quite amusing. He was there, and someone, he was actually a large man, but he was an elder. And he actually, uh, someone was there and said, oh, I can't believe how fat he is. And he said in his mind. And then the elder stood up and done a little spin around and said, can you see me, how I am? So he actually was stirring him a bit and said, that yes, I am what you said I am. And he knew what he was thinking. He was a joking person. Other elders might not joke. Even St Anthony the Great, once someone saw him kind of being a bit, a bit friendly with his monks and maybe making a little bit of a kind of a joke a bit and things like that. And someone asked him and says, how can you do that? You know, you're a great elder and you're doing this. He goes, when you get a, um, a, a bow, bow and arrow, when you get a bow and you stretch it, what happens? He goes, it gets tighter, tighter. What happens if you keep on going? He goes, it will break. He goes, it's the same as some people. Some people, if you stretch them too much, you bend them too much, you make them lead a life which is too much for them, you can break them. So that's the point I'm trying to say there. So he said... Um, what do you have there? The gospel? No, he said. Um, I have got cigarettes. Would you like one? And the elder said no. Since we were all looking at the elder laughing, I'm assuming that the fathers were laughing, perhaps maybe the elder, the young men understood that this person that he was speaking to was actually Elder Paisios. After confirming it, where he actually asked them, the um, other men there, is he the elder? And they, and they said yes. He then said to the elder, I want you to tell me what is my name. That's what I was trying to say before. People are obsessed about these psychics. It's like we treat the elders like psychics. Oh, I went to a woman and she read my coffee and she knew the name of my child, which is quite interesting. I mean, out of the millions of names that exist that she, that, that she actually gets that. I Either she knows you or she's got some abilities. But the abilities are different. One gets told by God and the other one gets told by the demons because the demons, being in the air, know what's going on. They know the past. 
They can guess the future. Sometimes they arrange the future. They don't, in general, they don't know the future, but they can arrange the future. What does that mean? It means that you go to these people and they might say to you, um, in a month's time you're going to have an, an accident or something, and in a month's time you have an accident. And people say, oh, see, she knew the future. She can tell the future. No, the demons told her what they intend to do in a month with God's permission because God allows them to get things right because you or me or whoever went to these places. If you go to these places, then God even allows on purpose things to occur to suck you in more because you went against his commandments. And that's why a lot of times people say, oh, they said it right. They said this, they said that. They did say it right. They did say it right because God allowed them to do that. Why? Because as a punishment to make you become more sucked into that spirit as a, pun as a punishment, as, as we said. So this person came to the elder out of curiosity, which can be sometimes good, as we'll see. If you want to have curiosity, you're better off going to an elder but not to a psychic or a medium because one is from God and one is of the demons. One, perhaps you can come to God. The other one, you go to the devil and it's very hard to get him off. There are people in the church who have gone to these places and they've been in the church, some people have been in the church for 10, 20 years. They confess, they commune, they actually lead quite strict spiritual lives, but they've still got the influence on them. They still get attacked. They still get, they still get pulverised to some extent. And the Holy, the Holy Fathers say that, they, that it's equivalent to denying Christ by going even to have your cards read or your coffee, or your coffee read or, or whatever you go to, to go somewhere for a session to these people. Even on the phone, because they're on the phone now as well, on the radio, people ring up on the radios, on these talkbacks, and there's a, some clairvoyant there, and they, they say all oh, their rubbish. And um, sometimes they get things right, as we said. Not, not, I mean, most of the time, they get a lot of things wrong. But they do get some things right. People ignore the fact that they got 50 things wrong and 10 things right. But anyway, the... Um, I lost my, my train of thought. Thank you. What? No, that's come back to that. It was the other person who was, who even, that's right, the, the Holy Fathers, thank you, the Holy Fathers said that those who go to those places, it's equivalent to denying Christ. You're denying your Christian faith. And in Greece, they actually because they re-chrismate. Like when we get baptised, we are chrismated. Some fathers believe that they, people who have gone to these places have to be re-chrismated because they've lost the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's that serious. A lot of priests don't know that, and people don't. Some priests actually, and even a bishop once told me, he goes, no, 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 we can't re-chrismate. You're only chrismated once. But... Even Elder Paisio said 
when I read through his works, and also St. Nicodemus the Athenite, anyone who has denied Christ in any form has to be re-chrismated to gain back the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's how serious it is. So don't think, oh, I'll go and get my palm read at Westfield Shopping Centre for 5 to 20 bucks and then um, find out my future and then go and confess. That's okay, you can do that. That's up to you. Right? But I tell you one thing. When you repent of that, if God gives you time, and you repent and you go and confess, that's okay, but you will suffer for many, many years to get them off you, if at all. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. God forgives, but he leaves that on purpose. I remember once someone went to Manathos. I think I've told you this. Uh, maybe not told you. Anyway, I'll tell you the example again, maybe in previous talks. The person was sleeping. All of a sudden, something entered the room. And the person felt a bad feeling and he kept his eyes closed, but he said he was awake. And suddenly, the bed started shaking and the sheets that were on him started flying in the air. Now, you might say, are you describing something from Harry Potter movie? Or are you describing something from those a lot of these movies, these um, supernatural movies? No, I'm not describing a Harry Potter scene. I'm going through a real thing. And this person really got scared and he said that the sheets were, he felt the sheets flying in the, like that and the whole bed was trembling. He waited for the thing to pass. Usually when that happens to people, people start praying. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, help me. You know, he was praying for that thing to pass away. And especially when we pray to the Mother of God in times like that, very powerful. And once it passed, he got dressed and ran to the abbot of the monastery. And he was really, really shaken. And he said to the abbot, what happened? By the way, the abbot was Elder Haralambos Vinusiathus, which we have his book. He went to him and he said, oh, you know, uh, Elder, this, this and this happened. And the elder goes... He goes, that's, that's because he's, he's upset. Because, he goes, who's upset? Because the devil's upset. Why is he upset? He goes, because he used, you used to belong to him and now you're trying to escape from him. He says, not going to let you go that easily. And it was to him, it was a matter of fact. It was to him, he goes, it was as if it was everyday life because for them, they deal with warfare continually. They are fighting the demons continually. Monastics who are, who are struggling, because some don't, who are struggling, are fighting demons, and Christians as well. Depends on the, but more monastics because their spiritual life is more real in the monastery, in the world, we have a lot of distractions. Over there, they're serving, they're praying, and they're getting bombarded. And he goes, oh, he goes, he just, he just doesn't want to let you go because he said, he used, because he said, because you used to be his child. And that's what he said. And true, that that person, even though after many years of being in the church, that person still has some influence on him such that he does get tormented at times. 
from the demonic influence. It doesn't mean that God has not forgiven him. And that person was chrismated as well, by the way. So he even got a, a lot of help, but still he's bad. That's why that's very important. So if you do have some um, curiosity and you're into this a little bit, better to go to uh, uh, a spiritual elder. At least that way. We'll see what happened to this person. This person had this curiosity, so he went there. And he said, I want you to tell me my name. The elder scratching his head, pretending to be bewildered. You know, I said he's a bit, he was animated. He was scratching his head. He goes, um, he goes, what is your name? Let's see. He goes, how do you call the traffic lights? The red, the green ones that regulate the traffic. And it says here a little note. Greeks have, I said this last time, Greeks have named the green and red lights after men's names. Rigoris, which means Grigora, which means go. That means red light, the green light, obviously. And stamatis, which means stamata, which means stop, which is the red light. And then the others replied, uh, you mean Elder Grigorius and stamatis? Well, yes. And then he said, and that is how you are called. He said to the, the, the young man. His name was indeed Grigorius and Gregory. And when he heard it, he was astonished and immediately asked to see the elder in private. He was struck with that. He took the young man aside so the two of them could talk. After six months, he, he went again to Mount Athos and I met him, the person who's writing the story, I met him outside the monastery of Kutlumusu, which is close, it's not important. Anyway. He no longer looked like an anarchist. His change was dramatic, cut hair, etc. And that I was not sure if it was the same person. So I asked him, excuse me, you remind me of someone. Are you the young man who visited Elder Paisios about six months ago? Was the person I remind you rude to the elder, said the boy, the young man. And, and the monk said, yes, in a way, yes, he was rude. Because it was me, the idiot father. Pray for me so I can correct myself. What's the difference here to the ones that go to the other places? I'll tell you the difference from my experience. People that go to the other places go down. If they go because their child's sick or because they're going to lose their job and they don't want to, or they want to marry someone, they want to put some spell on someone to get married, or people are couples having fights and then they say, I oh, will go to someone because in their minds they believe that someone's done magic on them. So they go to someone else to try and undo the spells. You know, these people, you know, these people say, oh, I can undo the spell for $10,000. Pretty expensive. But um, so they, they all, everywhere you go to these people, usually they tell you, you've got a spell on you. And I can get rid of the spell for 5, 10, 15, 20. People have sold their houses to undo these spells because they say, oh, my business isn't going right, or my studies aren't going right, or my kids aren't going right, or my marriage isn't going right, I'm having accidents continually, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Nothing's going right. Someone's done something on me. Let's go to these people. Or for other reasons. Someone's interested in someone, they want to go and get their permit to find out whether they're going to marry that person and other stupidities. The point is that when you go to those places, in the beginning, people might find relief. For example, if someone's sick or got problems in their marriage or whatever, they can go to these magicians, whatever they are, mediums and all that, and they go, they pay a bit of money, and suddenly they're all right. They're all right for um, a few days, a week maybe. 
And the person goes, it worked. It actually worked. Let's go again. Oh, sorry, and then all of a sudden it might start up again, a little bit of problems. So they go again, but this time the price is higher. Not the price is right, the price is higher. And it goes up to 20 or 30 or 40 or $50,000. You see them on TV, on current affairs, today, tonight, all, that, all those people there. Why do they feel sometimes better? Because the demons who are causing the problems in the first place want to suck you in more, so what they do is they uh, back off. So if someone's got a demonic problem or someone's having fights continually, usually demons are behind these things. So he backs off, allows the people to be supposedly better for a while, and then that makes the people say, oh, this is real, this is really, really fantastic, and I'll pay any money, and they go more and more and more. Once they do that, they become more and more tied with the demons who are behind everything. But then suddenly, once they've got you full, with full trust, suddenly then the demons show themselves again and begin to cause catastrophes in your life. If you're sick, the sickness will become worse. If your child was going off, he's on drugs, he might improve for a while, but then shortly later he will get worse, if not commit suicide, because you went. Um, if someone was going better in their marriage, shortly after they usually get divorced, etc., etc., etc. And this is what happens. The difference between them is that once you go, you get disasters. This person went to the elder, rude, yes, out of curiosity, yes, but the result was, which is special characteristic of the elders, is that they change your soul for the better. They bring you into communion with God. They bring you to repentance. Something that these creeps can't do. They only bring you in communion with the demons and make your life worse. So this person changed. And I like the part goes, it was me, the idiot. He put himself down. So obviously, he has gained some humility. And from talking with the older, even if it was in the beginning, as I said, curiosity, talking with the older, and then later on, going away in the elder, praying for that person, that person changed their lives. On January the 17th, 1991, at 3 o'clock in the morning, one of the monks went to inform the elder, this is 1991, that the war in Iraq had just come, not the one now, the one before in the Kuwait and all that. When he reached his cell, he pointed with his torch to the window of the chapel because he knew the elder was inside praying at that time. What's this window business and the light? What it means is the person came outside his door, uh, outside his gate, and in Mount Athos there's no lights like we have here, except maybe in the, in the, in the main capital. So everything can be pitch dark. And um, he wanted to warn the elder to, to, instead of shouting out in the middle of the night, and he, he hitting on the door, he flashed the light in the window of his little chapel so that the elder can see it and know that there's someone there. And uh, after a few minutes, Father Jesus went to open the gate and asked him, who is it? The monk told him his name, and before having the chance to speak, the elder told him, 
about 45 minutes ago while I was praying, I was informed that the war in Iraq had just broken out and there is a terrible destruction. The monk replied, Father, I was coming to tell you that very news. But it seems that your own television, spiritual television, because obviously he never had a television, but his own spiritual television is, very, is a very recent one and you do not need to keep up to date. But some people say, oh, these monks, they're up in their monasteries, they have nothing to do with the world and that, you know, monks do keep up with things. But as well, some of them who don't have to because they get informed from God. Does it mean that Maria the Clairvoyant might not work out that, um, that, the, that a war can break out? She can work it out too. If the demons tell her, if God permits, she, can, she might do that too. So what makes her different to the elder? What makes this elder different to these other people that exist? That's what we're here to find out. More and more. I've already given you some hints. By the way, last month I made a mistake. I actually said that the elder foresaw Cyprus in 1974. It wasn't Elder Basius, it was Elder Porfirios, which is the talk we're going to do next week, next year. He worked out. He actually saw the the war of Cyprus, etc. But I made a mistake. Anyway. I love this this example. Father Paisios used to spend the whole night praying. We mentioned that last time. One night around one o'clock, as he was praying, he was informed. Again, this informing. See, if you watch, you shouldn't watch them. But anyway, those clairvoyant shows, they actually speak about, they're telling me, I'm being told, they say, that such and such and such and such, whatever, they, whatever tests they've given them. They might say, oh, there's a person... One of these stupid things was, it was, it was an American one, which was, uh, it, was an, it, was an, it was an old hospital and they put a man in one of the rooms, it was a psychiatric hospital, X, and then they told the clairvoyants they have to go and find where, which room the man in when there's all these rooms. And um, some of them got it wrong. I think one of them got it right, the exact room, one got next door. Now, it's either probability that out of the 100 rooms they got one correct, could be, but in my opinion... When they say, they're telling me, they told me it's there, they're correct. But Elder Paisio says that I was informed. The same. So who's informing the elder and who's informing them? Well, let's go on. By God's grace that someone out in the world named Ioannis, John, was in real danger. So he, while he was praying, he was inspired, enlightened by God. That's the answer what I asked before, that he was enlightened by God that there was someone in the world called John who was in trouble. Why, when we pray, why can't we listen to these voices or why can't we be informed? I'll ask the question again. Why, and I want you to answer this time, why, when we pray, why can't, why shouldn't we be informed or maybe we are being informed maybe someone's telling us something and it might be from god what's wrong with that what's the answer
because we're not spiritually advanced. In other words, we are proud and we are We've got passions, we're filthy, we have bad thoughts, we have jealousy, we have envy, we have hate, we are disobedient, we are lazy spiritually, right? And we are greedy, and the list goes on. So what? Who's going to inform us? The only thing that may inform us with those passions would be little black things, not white things. That's how we should think of ourselves. Don't trust anything, is what the holy elders tell us. Don't trust anything. Because we are still battling with our passions, when we're so mixed up, we're going to think that something's from God when it's not from God. We are not able to have that discernment. And that's why the elders say the golden rule. The golden rule is ignore Ignore dreams, ignore visions, because dreams you don't know. Is it from the devil? Is it from God? Is it, is it um, natural? Sometimes we just have dreams naturally from memories and things. It can be demonic, it can be from God, it can be uh, natural. Visions, we can see a vision. It can be na um, demonic, it can be from God, it can be natural. Well, we said before that some people on medications, they hallucinate. It might not even be, it's from their imagination and they see things. We know that people on drugs, for example, they see things. They see dogs, they see relatives, and we know about a lot of that stuff. That was in the talks one and two. And thoughts, the same thing with thoughts. The thoughts can be from God, the thoughts can be from the devil, the thoughts can be natural. How do we know? I don't know. So what do we do? Ignore. Don't trust these things because once you begin, as we'll see in the next section, once you begin to trust these through your thoughts and things like that, anyway, we'll come to that. So this person has was in danger. He instantly lit up a candle. Elder Pais was instantly lit up a candle, being pure that he was, spiritual, uh, having struggled and suffered having humility and love for everyone. He was enlightened, and then he immediately lit up a candle for this Ioannis, for John. After half an hour, he was again, he was again informed that, you, that John was now safe. However, the elder could not understand what was going on. The next day, a young man visited him and told him the part of the story that Divine Grace had left incomplete the night before. He told him that he was facing very serious problems and because he had reached the stage where there was no solution in his life, he decided to, to commit suicide. He took his motorcycle around 12.30 in the morning and left the city. Could be Athens, doesn't really matter. He was heading towards a steep area so he would fall over and end his life. Around 12.50, remember that it said the elder patient was informed around 1 o'clock, so obviously it was at 10 to... A thought crossed his mind. So much has been said about this Father Paisios on Mount Athos. Why don't I go there instead? If he cannot help me, then I will complete what I have set out to do tonight. In other words, to commit suicide. This young man was John, for whom the grace of God had informed elder Paisios to pray. 
when he was heading to jump over the cliff, of course, uh, when he returned from Mount Athos, he did not go back to the cliff, but instead to a spiritual father for confession and with the elders' prayers, he joined the church. Psychics don't do those things. They're not interested in salvation. They don't speak about salvation. There's no judgment. There's nothing for them. So that was uh, another example. We have now come to quarter past. No, we're now 20 past. We have a break for 10 minutes. And I'll do this, this um, one here. A group of young men of no religious background, in other words, they might have been orthodox, but they weren't in the church, visited the elder. They heard of Father Paisios and were curious to meet him. And given them the typical Mount Athos treat, the Lukumian water, which the elder did, he sat next to them to listen to why, what they wanted to say. And they told him, Father, we want you to work a miracle in our presence so that we can believe in God. So these people, as I said, might be orthodox, but didn't believe, which is the majority of orthodox people today. Wait for a second, he replied. The elder replied. He went inside and brought a knife and said jokingly, I want you to stand up in a line. One, two, uh, all of you. How many is there? A, young, a group of them. Stand up in a line. I, I will cut your heads off and then I will miraculously glue them back to their place. But please don't stand next to each other in case I mix them up. The young men reacted at once. No, we want to see a different kind of miracle. Not that one. Then the elder sat by their side and told them the following. It would be very easy if God wished so to make people believe in him by working miracles. This is very important. As I said last month about miracles, I try not to emphasise. Like some people can do a talk and just speak about miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles all through the whole talk. I don't, I don't do that. The reason being is because you can make people become interested. You can stimulate their curiosity. Maybe some might change. But in general, people then will go to something else. They might watch something on TV and find that interesting. So miracles in and of itself is not enough. And that's why all the Paisis is saying... God can change everyone through miracles. He can do marvellous things to make people believe. Actually, the, the church fathers say, don't base your spiritual life on miracles because when the Antichrist comes, he will perform miracles, spectacular miracles. And one of the greatest ones will be things in like in the sky of fire and things like that and the holy father say don't become engrossed in these things because we will become sitting ducks as we say we'll become um vulnerable will be put in a very bad position because we could believe that the antichrist is the true messiah and that Christ was was false and that's why God does not want to use these miracles 
haphazardly, just use them to bring people to his church. If God wished so, people could believe in him by working miracles. With his supernatural power visible to all of us, he would make everyone believe. However, God does not want people to believe in him out of admiration for his supernatural power. God doesn't want that. When Christ came on earth, being God, he didn't just do miracles. He taught. He soothed. He did a lot of things. Not just miracles. Walking on water is not enough. Because some of these Hindus in India can walk on water. There's people in Greece that they think it's religious, but they walk on coals with their bare feet. Nothing happens to them. But it's demonic. The demons, when they use miracles or signs, it's to make people marvel. Oh, wow. When, when it's an orthodox miracle, people don't go, wow. They will see it, which I've been present but people don't act like that. People don't become uh, hysterical and emotional. There's a, like when they opened up the relics of St. John, Archbishop of San Francisco, back in, uh, just before they canonised him in 1994, they opened up his, his coffin, which was under the church in San Francisco. They said that they opened it up and his relics were incorrupt. He had not decomposed at all. And those present were calm, humble, um, spiritual, serene. It wasn't like, oh, wow, and start reacting. This is, this is what happens when the demons do miracles. People go, you know, they actually react in that way. And that's why a lot of these... Catholic miracles that occurred, like um, the one, uh, where was it, Portugal, Fatima, I get mixed up with them all, but one of those Catholic miracles was the sun was, I don't know, coming towards the earth and people were all amazed and were screaming and going hysterical and people started going to church more and things like that. That's not orthodox, how orthodox miracles are. It's a different thing. And... On the contrary, he wants us to believe in him and love him because he is extremely kind. God will never work a miracle in order to demonstrate his power and thus acquire more believers. This is the way, this is very important, whether they're mediums or whether they're other religions, whatever, these miracles which occur, miracles inverted commas, whatever they are, they are used to gain people. That's why I don't talk much about them. Because if there are people here who don't go to church, I don't want you to come to church because of a miracle. A lot of people in the first centuries that saw miracles and converted to Christianity later on fell away when the going got rough, when they, and they, they actually denied Christ. Miracles were useful for the unbelievers, but not necessary for those who are orthodox christians because when they struggle they there's a miracle going on within them which is their repentance their struggle etc where god helps them we, we there's miracles like that but we'll come to that more in further talks we go deeper into the inner life i don't want to go into too, too much now and um i will give you a better example to understand the other said if we are in the desert and need to break a stone we look for an additional stone to use in order to break the first one. So he says, you know, 
he's somewhere, someone somewhere, and they want to break a stone. They don't pray and say, God, break the stone. What they do is they get something else. They try humanly to do the job themselves. If we cannot find a second stone, we pray to God and he will work his miracle. We should bear in mind that we must humbly do ourselves whatever can be humanly and naturally achieved. People come to me and go, can you pray for me that I can get on better with my husband, for example? And I say, yes. Have you tried? No. no. You've got to try first. Go away. Try. Come back. Can you pray that I do well at school? Have you tried? No. You try first. Because this is where it becomes like a demonic thing. It's like, you give us this, you give us this, you give us that. The best way is when we see that we can't do something and we ask his help, as you will see later on in, as, the, as the talk progresses. This is, as we said last month, this is the best way to pray to God. When we see we can't do something. However, we should ask for God's help for whatever we as humans cannot accomplish. I will tell you another example. If we suffer from a disease and want to be cured, we should see a doctor. If the doctor is unable to cure us, then we should ask God to work a miracle. And if he wants, I add this, if he wants, he will cure us. And if he doesn't, it means that's best for us. How many people turn to God because of sicknesses? How many people turn to God because their children have gone off and they can't do anything at all? I was speaking to one person the other day, um, um, a father, and he said, I, uh, my children do not listen to me at all, 100% finished. And that was the first time that that person ever said that, because usually he's proud. And um, this was the first time he actually said, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Other times he might ask, can you pray for my children? And I say, yuck. What does that mean? It means the person's just asking out of, I don't know, good luck charm. It's as if I'm a good luck charm, as if I'm a rabbit's foot or something. And, and then, um, or a horseshoe. And then they just say, oh, you know, can you pray for this? No, I can't. So I, I, don't, I don't feel inclined because you're, it's the, have you tried? No, you try when you fail, when you see you can't, then you come and ask for the divine, which is what Elder Pesha said. I never knew why for so many years when people would ask me for things, I would, I would become a bit... Um, because they're asking for something before they tried themselves. And this is not right. Okay. Break time now. You're welcome to have whatever you like over there. And uh, we will come back soon. In the beginning of the talk, I read for you the part of the New Testament, which is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, line 28, which said, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And it goes on in another chapter, which says uh, the, same, the same 1 Corinthians chapter 14, line 3. It says, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. I don't like quoting too much because people don't understand, so I will explain. He who prophesies speaks edification 
exhortation and comfort to men. I said that a prophet is a special person that's been given this special grace by God and they existed in the Old Testament and the elders are really prophets. What's edification mean? Edification is someone who instructs people, guides them, enlightens them, teaches them. That's edification. A prophet does that. Exhortation, what does that mean? Someone who urges someone, advi uh, uh, strongly advises them, warning, counsels them, admonishes them, don't do that, that's not right, etc., etc. We forget about that. We forget about that. Uh, those aspects of the elders and we think of the elder that only can say our name when we go and visit them. Admonish. What does admonish mean that the elders do, that the prophets are supposed to do? Reprimand, rebuke, scold, warn, tell off in a way, caution, strictly at times. Other times very lovingly, other times that. It doesn't mean that, that, that what they're doing, if they're telling someone off, it's not with love because they're caring for the soul. But that's part of it as well. We forget about that. And comfort. What does comfort mean? When they console the person, when they reassure the person, when they calm the person, when they relieve the person, when they encourage the person. This is what a prophet does, which it says, first is apostles, second prophets. Why were the prophets hated in the Old Testament such that the Jews put them through horrible tortures, cut them in half and did whatever they did to them? Why? Because they would expose the bad things that the Jews were doing, the chosen people of God. Those who believed in the true God was the, were the Jews. And when they went off, then God would send his prophets to come and tell them the correct thing. And the Jews, as a result of that, didn't like it, didn't like their sins being exposed, and therefore they killed them. The same happens today with the elders, with the new prophets. The same thing. They are here not only to do what other things which we're saying, but also to warn, to tell people that's a sin, that's not a sin. Be careful of that. The elders did, that's what the elders do. The elders don't, don't sit there like a Buddha and just say, um, your name is that, your job is that, you're this and you're that. If you want that, you go to Greece and go to the site where the Oracle of Delphi was and some other pagan things where they used to speak through statues and things like that and say things. This is not enough to, for someone to be what's called a prophet, a holy person. The prophets of old would shout out at times, this is wrong, stop those sins, don't do this, be careful of that. But at the same time, they also had, um, they used to console people, help people, heal people, pray for people. This is what elders do. So we think, oh, prophets existed in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. But this is what it's called. Prophets are those who have these gifts. And I'll give you some examples of that now, whereby we'll see other aspects of the elder. One afternoon I went to visit the elder. At the fence of his cell stood a man about 30 years old, waiting for him to open the door. So this person who's writing this account went to visit the elder and there was a man at the fence. 
waiting to see the elder. When I arrived, Father Paisius opened the win- his window and asked, who is it? And I replied, it's me, Father. And one lay person, I said, and I told him his name. So this monk that was standing at the gate with this other guy who was 30 years old, said, it's, you know, it's Father so-and-so, and there's this lay person that wants to see you, and his name is such-and-such. Then the elder shouted out from, the, from his um, cell, tell the layman to leave. Then the layman said, beggingly, Father, I really wish to see you. The elder answered reproachfully, sternly, strictly, go because you upset me, as you only trust your own way of thinking and do not listen to what I tell you. Why are you coming here wasting your time? In other words, go. (gasps) Elders don't do that. They're full of love. That's what people believe. Elders wouldn't do that. That that monastery I told you about when I said to them, it's not enough for someone just to say um, your name because even magicians can say your name. And he goes, oh, you're calling Father Paisius a magic? Anyway, the same monastery, when we were speaking once to, to the monks there, we were talking about uh, ecumenism. And we were speaking about the bad things about ecumenism, where they say we're going to join all the churches together and that really we're all the same and all these things, that orthodoxy is not really the truth, but we all have the truth and we all come together. And I said to this person, what do you think of that? And that person said, well, we pray. And I go, but how come we have um, saints that used to speak up and become angry at matters of faith? I go, like Justin Popovich, blessed Justin Popovich of Serbia. And he said to me, and I can't forget it to this day. He said to me, Popovich, he said, he was so humble. He would sit in the corner and didn't speak at all and just pray and never ever said anything about these matters. And um, as I'm doing now, I just became disgusted. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, do you know who Yusin Bobbage is? He goes, yes, he's a great saint. He never spoke as he just sat in the corner. Sorry, it's the, the, the only thing that he didn't say was knitting socks. Right? That he just sat in the corner and knitted socks all day. That's what Yustinovich did. And it just made me sick, which it still does to this day, because the Serbians here would know that Yustinovich, who was a great dogmatic theologian, he was, they say, the greatest, what's that noise? The greatest dogmatic theologian in the uh, 20th century. When he would speak, the windows would tremble. That's how powerful he was when he would denounce, especially whatever was happening in the church, in the Serbian church, in ecumenism, in the world, etc. He was fiery and he wasn't scared. And I've said this to you before. Well, this person was saying to me that, and plus I've heard, I've heard, um, I don't understand Serbian, but someone else who understands it, we've heard talks where he would speak. And he would speak with such force. With such force, and he would basically be shouting and warning, etc. That's that's the Yustibovich I know. This person made him a person that knit socks. Let's leave that.
So let's get that out of my mind now. So even the thought of it, I think, is just, it's like I'm going through um, electroshock therapy, I think. Uh, now, where are we up to here? Oh, he's another, <coughs> he, told, he told him to go, go because you upset me. And he told him to go away. Then he came and opened the door for me to come in. He is a real burden, Father Paisios told me. He does not listen to my words. He comes, asks questions and leaves. After a short while, he comes back again and asks the same things over and over again. He, this happens because he always listens to his own thoughts. Therefore, he forgets what I tell him or does not understand a word. Now, this is very important. Don't think that the elders are there and they just tolerate everything. This person trusted his own thoughts. This is what we do a lot of times. We trust our own thoughts. And when someone is giving us advice, even if it's an elder, we don't listen. Because we trust our own thoughts. When we trust our own thoughts, this is the worst thing for spiritual life. The worst thing is when we believe in the thoughts that come to our head. There was another young man who relied completely on his thoughts and was led astray. One day he visited Father Paisios who told him, do not listen to your thoughts because you will end up losing your mind. Remember what we said, lay people who believe their thoughts, they go crazy, while monks become deceived. That's what Elder Paisios says, those who believe their thoughts, if they're lay people like yourselves, they go crazy. And in a way, that, that's God's blessing to give them some type of salvation instead of dying in that stubborn, unrepentant, willful way. I'm right. So God allows mental illness to make the people humble and let them go if they have to in the next life. Either humble and repent and come out of it, or if they don't repent and come out of it, at least to have suffered in this life, not to suffer in the next life. The worst, one of the worst things is, is the pride of the mind. And... If a monk believes a monk or a nun believes their own thoughts, they go into what's called spiritual delusion, prelest, etc. So, uh, do not listen to your thoughts because you'll end up losing your mind. Be careful; you have a very good machine, meaning the is his mind, but its wheels face the wrong direction. He said, "It's like you've got to." Put your mind in the correct direction, not in the wrong direction. That's what spiritual life's about. Making our mind to have proper thoughts and not go off onto tracks which are going to make us go crazy. Um, you have to turn it to the right direction whether the good, where the good thoughts are. Like make yourself think good thoughts. Don't think bad thoughts. Only you yourself can do this along with the help of God. Only you yourself can do that with God's help, not just God's help. God can't make someone have good thoughts. It has to be the person has to try to have good thoughts and then God helps as well. Nobody else can do it for you as you are free and self-dependent. You can turn the wheel. Your spiritual father will show you the direction, which is what I said before. The spiritual fathers of today, not the elders, they show us the direction. But they can't take us along like the elders do. The elders... If we are under the direction of an elder, which we don't deserve to be, then we are. Then the elder takes us hand in, and takes us along the path to salvation. 
Now, some people might say, how come we've got no elders in Australia? And why haven't we got things like that? Well, I tell you the reason. The reason why we haven't got elders in Australia is because we don't deserve them, because we wouldn't listen to them. And by going to an elder and rejecting his words, as we'll see further on, we become worse. So therefore, God in his mercy doesn't give them to us. So the question is, do we deserve elders? Once, four young men who were spiritually indifferent, in other words, they didn't really believe much, they didn't care about spiritual life, visited the elder Paisios. He kindly welcomed them and asked them to get, sit in the garden while he ran inside to bring them some water and a Greek sweet called lukumi, which is a typical treat in Mount Athos. Then he went, then he sat next to them to find out what they wanted, what, what was the reason for their visit. They said with a certain impudence, like with rudeness, Father, why don't you give us another lukumi? So in other words, rude. The elders stood up and went to fetch the box with the sweets. Then they asked him again, why don't you bring us some more water? He stood up and went to bring four glasses of water. Remember that the elder would do this all day. You might think, oh, that's easy. You just come along. I mean, some people I know find it excruciating to serve a visitor. Like they actually prefer visitors don't come to their house because they've got to serve them a glass of water, like lazy. But anyway, that's a, they're, they're another kettle of fish. But the, the elder would have to do that all day in the house, get the water, back in, get et cetera, et cetera. He actually used to comment and say that no one ever helped. Just people, he said, today are very, very lazy and rude. Um, he stood up and went to bring four glasses of water. He put them on a tray and stood in front of them. Then he took each one of the glasses and poured the water in front of their feet. That's your glass, that's your glass of water, that's your glass, and that's your glass of water. And as he, and as he was saying that, he was smiling, but with kindness, but he was smiling. So, here's another thing that we don't expect. How can elders do such things? And this is a very good lesson because parents serve their children while they're lying on couches and in their beds and don't do anything and lazy and the parents are doing elder patients because he had an, a military background remember that he was a he was a soldier he he really was against laziness disrespect etc he very much against it he goes we are creating demons in our children we're making them worthless to be able to function in life. Most parents are responsible for their children not being able to get married in the future or become monks or nuns or whatever because they are dysfunctional. And that comes from the parents emotionally feeling that, oh, I'll just do it for them. Oh, they're studying. I'll wash their clothes or do this and make them do no work. We've said all this before. That's damaging. And then he said... I went to fetch you some water since you asked me for it to show you that I don't have any difficulty in obeying your wills. I did not give it to you, though, because I would enforce your laziness. And that's a good lesson. Not only one, one, to show you that the elder was strict and did not want to uh, cause damage to people. Like I've said to parents, I noticed that your child's ungrateful. Oh, does it matter? I remember one Greek woman her son said to her years ago, this was years ago, but her son said to her, um, I think she gave him some food, and he goes, oh, thanks, Mum. She goes, to your mother, you never say thank you. Where'd that philosophy come from? 
I don't even know, to your mother, you never say thank you. In other words, you just sit there like a pig and you just take everything and you treat me like a pig. Like just give me, just basically you just treat me as anyway. She actually said, you don't say thank you to your mother. This thing of ingratitude, when a person has not learned gratitude at home, he's not going to have gratitude for God. When the person has not learned respect at home, they're not going to have respect for God. That's why people that come out of those homes where they weren't taught these things, they do find it hard when they come into the church to, to lead a spiritual life because God is a loving father. If you've never had a loving father, then it's very hard to relate to God as a loving father. If you've never known your father as being someone who is loving, but strict, but loving, takes care of your mother, of your family, of everything. He takes, uh, we said all this in the, in the marriage talks. Then that person, when he becomes, when he comes to the church in the future, will find it hard to relate to God as a loving father. Yes, as, as, just, as just, that God will be judge, but at the same time, he is also love. And we learn all these things from young. A young man went to see the older. I arrived the moment... This person's around all the time, isn't he? I arrived the moment he was ringing the bell and waited behind him. After a while, Father Paisus opened the door and came to the fence. What's up, young man? What do you want? asked the older. Father, I would like to see you and get your advice on something. That was usually what people went. Others went for curiosity, but some people really went for, wanted to get advice. Have you gone to confession? Do you have a spiritual father? said the elder. No, father, I don't have a spiritual father and I haven't gone to confession. It's very interesting. Well, then you better go to confession and then come to see me. In other words, go away. Why can't I see you, father? said the, the young man. I will explain to you so you can understand. Your mind is confused and troubled by the sins you have fallen into. As a result, you cannot realise the situation you're in. So you will not be able to give me a clear picture of your problem. People are muddled up. However, if you confess your sins, your mind will clear up and you will see things very differently. I like that advice. The same thing happened to me. When I went to Manathos, when I first came into the church when I was younger, about 25 years old, I went to a monastery and I wanted to see the spiritual father of the monastery, who was actually that person, that abbot of that monastery, was acquainted with Elder Pais. I think he actually came with Elder Pais just to Australia back in the 19... I don't know when they came. They came before my before I was in the church. It must have been maybe early 80s or 70s, I'm not sure. Elder Pais just came to Australia. Interesting as well that I actually heard that when the elder's plane was... when they were coming over from Greece, and as soon as they came over Australia, the elder felt this really bad feeling and he said, this country, he said, has a lot of demons. And it's funny that, that he's not the only one. I also brought a spiritual father from Greece once and he said the same. And another person that came, he also said, this country's got a lot of people that have got demonic problems and mental problems, like really bad in this country. And George told me last month that he said that he heard that when elder... Paisius would pray, he would often face Australia and pray especially for Australia because he said they need a lot of help. Uh, and, that's, and, and that is true. Anyway, I went to this monastery 
And I said to the abbot there, um, can I speak to you? And he goes, do you have a spiritual father? I go, no, I haven't, because I was new. And he goes, no. He goes, well, you go and get a spiritual father. You have to go and find a spiritual father. Go, bah, 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 bah. He goes, no, you go and get a spiritual That was it. End. End of story. Out. So I left, and I got a bit upset, and I said, the audacity. And then I realised, no, that for him to say it, humble myself, and that's what I did. So when I came back to Australia, I went and found the spiritual father and started to, and then I realised that he was correct. And now as a priest, I even realise it even more. That, you know, when you haven't got someone to guide you, to help you, you're basically going on the wrong track. Some people don't want to confess. That's their business. Um, some people are too proud to confess. Some people say, why should I say it to the priest? That's the way God has ordained it. Whosoever sins... He says to the apostles, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven, and whoever sins you retain, they retain. The, that was given to the apostles, which then gave it to the other bishops, which gave it to the priests, right down, that the priests have the authority to forgive and absolve sins. That's the end of the story. You like it, you don't, you don't. That's, that's not, we're not here to force people to do things. Um... Father, maybe I am confused and troubled and unable to tell you what exactly is wrong with me, but you yourself can understand the nature of my problem and tell me what to do. He goes, because you know, you know, you're an enlightened man and you'll be able to help me. Because he kept on going, like I did in the office of the abbot. Listen, even if I can see with a certain clarity what is wrong with you, you still have the problem inside you. Since your mind is troubled, you will neither understand nor remember what I will say to you. If you go to confession and you are tuned in the same spiritual frequency with us, in other words, with the elder, with the church, then we will be able to communicate. So go to a spiritual father for confession and I will wait for your visit in the future. Isn't that good? So do we have a spiritual father? We can start spiritual life. If we haven't got a spiritual father, then we haven't got spiritual life. Now, the Protestants say... I don't go, uh, they say, I'm not going to go to a priest because I pray to God and he forgives me directly. That's fair enough. If that's what they want to believe, that's, that's okay, but I'm not here to judge them. God, God will judge us because we know more. And for an Orthodox Christian, having no spiritual father is, it just does not compute. It doesn't work out. Father Paiso suggested to one of his, another visitor now, he said, go to, go to confession. He replied, Father, why should I go to confession since I will again fall into the same sin? And the elder said, during the war, remember he was a soldier, when, I was, when, when, a, when a soldier is injured in the leg, he has to go to the doctor to take care of his wound so that he may fight again. However, if he says, why should the doctor take care of my wound since I'm going to get injured again, well, they're not going to win the war, are they? And then the, his wound will be left uncovered and exposed to bacteria. It will get infected and he will eventually die of hemorrhage. The same happens with confession. You must go to confession. If you fall into the same sins, you will once again confess them until you learn not to fall and stand on your own feet. St. John Christum actually says, when you've got a spiritual father and you go, whenever you go, um, when you have thoughts of doing a sin, and you know that you're going to have to say that sin, even that in a way, because you're embarrassed, sometimes we do get embarrassed to say our sins, he goes, even that can be good because 
it prevents you of doing the sin because you know you're going to have to go and confess it. So that's got a good effect. It's, but we should never be embarrassed of saying our sins because the priests have heard it all before. They're not interested in your particular sins. Nothing you can say can shock them because they've already heard it. But you must find a priest who will be sympathetic and understanding and, is a, and struggles themselves. If you go to a priest who doesn't have that, then they could turn you off and say, oh, why'd you do that for and other things like that. Sometimes, you know, it depends on... Anyway, you've got to find a spiritual father which has got a reputation for being a good confessor that can help you with um, sins. Any questions on that, up to that level? Yes? Russians and Greeks have different traditions. Like we say, in the Slavonic tradition, Serbian, Russian, every priest, even if he's made a priest at 22, becomes a confessor. This is unknown in the Greek church. In the Greek church, not every priest can do confession. Only those priests who have shown spiritual maturity who are able to do it. I personally agree with the Greek way because when you get some priests that are made priests at 21, 22, um, I really find it hard to understand. I mean, that's why a lot of them, they just read prayers and read absolution. You get absolution. But as to get some little bit of guidance and some help and, and you know, and things like that, a lot of them can't do it because they don't have experience. Spiritual fathers is when someone is more advanced in the spiritual life and has a better ability to guide people. An elder is someone who has a great gift from God to be able to guide the soul in a different way that a spiritual father can do. Spiritual father can do some guidance. He can help to some extent, but not to the extent that the elder can. An elder can be someone who's not even a priest. An elder is someone who has a great authority from God, who can guide the soul. This is what Elder Paisius was. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a confessor, but he was an elder, and he would guide souls with that authority that he had, that special that he could see inside the person. Some priests can see as well, but they're limited. Some priests have got enlightenment. They can see and they can give some good advice but not to the extent that elders can. And if we don't have elders in our times, or there's not many of them, or we don't have access to them, then we just um, make do with what we've got, remembering that we shouldn't complain and go, oh, why can't we have elders? Why can't we have elders and cry about it? When we should say to ourselves, maybe if there were elders and I went to them, I wouldn't listen. And that's what I believe. I believe that if elders, if there were spirit-bearing elders here in Australia, I believe that the majority, if not a lot of people would not listen and make their condemnation worse. So therefore, let's just be satisfied with what we've got. Once when I was in the army, this is a very nice example. This is when the elder was in the army. The commander wanted someone to accompany a certain soldier to the military court because that soldier, it says... Um, the other, the others told the commander, you found the right person to deliver him, in other words, for Elder Paisius to take him to the 
military court. The poor soul was from Epirus, a musician of sorts, an impoverished man, married with children who had been accused of wounding himself to avoid going to war. A lot of people do did that and still do. You know, they get scared that they might get killed in the war and they're not going to see their children anymore, or their wives, etc. They're just scared and they would actually damage themselves so they can get out of the of going into um, active service. And this is what this man was accused of doing. And of course, the punishment in those days for someone who did that was death. So he had to go, the elder was given the job, he wasn't an elder then, he was like a lay person. He was told to take this soldier down to the court so he can be tried and then he would have been shot. I suppose he thought to himself, I'd rather be with one leg than get killed. When we went together down to the place we, where he knew some people, the, he would say, let's go and see them, he told me, and I replied, let's go. So in other words, when they went to the place, and he would, this, this soldier that was going to be accused said to the elder, oh, I know that person, I want to go and visit him, let's go, let's go there. So he was doing all that to avoid going to the court because he was scared of being tried and being shot. And the older, knowing what he was doing, he was avoiding by seeing all these people, he knew what he was doing. He said, he, um, what could I do? It was quite tiresome, and he did not want me to turn him in. I really felt pity for him, and at some point I said, the elder said to the man, don't worry, you'll, you'll see, you'll do better than all the others. So why would the elder say that? knowing that he's going to be shot. Don't worry, you'll see, you'll do better than all the others. The commander will write a letter and they will probably put you in some office and you'll take care of your family and save your life too. Well, when we finally reached the place, we found out that indeed the commander had sent a letter and the man had been exonerated. In other words, that he was said, you know, you're free. Otherwise, he would have been brought before the firing squad. Things are very strict during wartime. The commander took pity on him and he was hired as a cook in the transit centre. He even brought his family to be with him in that place where he was made a cook. He was able to bring his family there and there was plenty of food left over because the soldiers wouldn't eat all the food, so he was able to also feed his family. Remember during the war and the civil war after, after the second war in Greece, there was a lot of starvation. People did not have food. So this person was able to bring his family where he was and was able to give uh, to give them food. Uh, so he got to f feed his children. Everybody later would tell him, you've had it better than anyone else. You see, now this is what the elder says, you see the rest of us were up in the mountains in the snow. While this person was a cook with his family, feeding his children. Didn't have to fight. Wasn't in the cold like, like the others were. And the elder said, the blessing I gave him uh, found favour with God because I said it feeling the man's pain in my heart and that's why God acted on it. This is really very important that when the elder saw his situation, he didn't say, you dog, you deserve to be shot, you what you did and you, you know, we got to go and fight and you didn't go and fight this and that, which is true. I mean, that is wrong. And according to military justice, he should be shot. And the church never gets involved in those things. 
if that's what is the rules, the church accepts it. However, the elder, who wasn't even, he was a very holy person. Obviously, even in those times, we said that, that he was holy from young. He actually gave a, uh, what's we call an he like a, a blessing within his heart. And he also said to me, he goes, the blessing I gave him found feather with God because I said it feeling the man's pain in my heart. And that's why God acted on it. See, this is a very profound thing that, that the way we think about things and what's in our heart can take effect. And that's what we're going to do next month, which is what Elder also says about the evil eye, that some people have got this ability where they can actually give the evil eye to someone and make them sick and make them die. And all curses, sometimes parents curse their children or children per- curse their parents and things like that. And he, we're going to talk about this in the next talk, that what's in our heart can take effect on someone. And in this case, the elder saying that in his heart he had feeling of pain and he felt sorry for this person. He had compassion. And because he felt it with his heart, God blessed and the person got off and got this, all these things just from that. This is another difference between the psychics and the elders, that the elders have a lot of boldness with God. And they pray for people and they bless people and things go right. And this is a fantastic example. St. Basil the Great says, I'm a virgin in body, but I'm not a virgin in soul. What does he mean by that? He goes, I'm a virgin in body, I've never fallen, but yet in my mind I'm not a virgin because of filthy thoughts. St. Basil the Great said that. So in other words, our thoughts will be, rec- will be looked at by God and we need to understand that we might be holy in externals, but what's going on in our heart and in our minds are very bad and that will could condemn us on the last day if we do not repent. So don't think that because people can look at us and say, oh, he's holy or he's good. Oh, he confesses all the time. He prays all the time. He goes to church. He's got nice children. He does all these type of things. He does missionary work or whatever. He teaches scripture. Yes, all those things can be good, but a lot of times the person could be hiding in them passions and evil that is not obvious to everyone around, not even maybe obvious to themselves because they're not aware of their spiritual life. And, but, it's, but it's known by the angels, it's known by the demons who inspire that person to be that way, and it's known by God. So we have to very much be careful that we don't think ourselves higher. In my experience with people, and for my own self, I can see that I don't even see things in myself, but even when I speak to people, they are completely unaware of themselves. They don't know that they've got pride. They don't know that. They might say, oh, that was an example. They say, uh, oh, that person did that bad thing to his children. And I say to them, are you against him because he did the bad thing to his children or are you against him because the other day he ignored you? You know, and they get a bit shocked. So behind our supposed righteous anger, behind our supposed struggles and the things that we do is hiding a lot of uh, pride, a lot of evil, which this is what the spiritual life's about. By leading a spiritual life, we begin more and more to see these things. But don't expect to be go to the same level as these great saints 
because we are brought up in different times and unfortunately, especially because of television and things like that, our minds are damaged. And for some people, um, uh, the, uh, people's minds are damaged permanently, like mentally affected. That's why I'm saying it's, a very, it's spiritual abuse, it's the worst type of abuse to put a child in the first couple of years of their life in front of the television because the television promotes fantasy. What did the elders do? What did the elders say is one of the worst things they have to fight against? Fantasy, imagination in their, in their minds. And they fought against imagination because the demons use imagination to trick the person. For us, it's very hard to get rid of that imagination because we were brainwashed from young on the TV which is just full imagination and fantasy. And it's for that reason why it's very difficult for us to lead a deep spiritual life. But, never, but nevertheless, we shouldn't fall into despair because God looks at our, how much we try. We may not get to these levels of these great saints, but, as I said in another talk a few months back, in God's eyes we can become greater because we are living in times where it's very difficult and spiritual life is incredibly difficult in these times when everything, there's sin everywhere. Um, and in God's eyes, if we can keep our orthodox faith, if we can keep ourselves from you know the, the bad things of this world to the best of our ability, then that is far greater than those who lived in earlier times who had better opportunities to lead spiritual lives. A father went to visit the elder to tell him about his daughter who had cancer in the head. According to the doctors, she would die in a few months. The father took some of his daughter's clothes for Elder Paisus to bless and he also asked him to pray for his little girl. Father Paisus told him, I will pray for your daughter, however you as a father must also sacrifice something for the love of your child. As God is always deeply moved when people make sacrifices for the ones that they love. This is important, I'm going to go on to now some things. What shall I sacrifice, father? said the father of the girl. What shall I sacrifice? What passions do you have? Sacrifice one of them, said the elder. Being spiritually ignorant, like, like us, he answered, I don't know of any passions. See what I'm saying? See, blindness. If I ask people today, what's your passion? Um, mm, I can't lose weight. You know, that's a main thing. I can't lose weight. Or what's another one? I'm not handsome, I'm not good looking, and all these things, I'm not athletic, or I, I, you know, or whatever other else they say, or I'm not, um, I want to be a pop star and I can't be a pop star, or I want to do this and like, or fantasy and madness. People aren't aware of their passions. The more we come closer to God, the more we see our passions. The more we see our passions, the more we see how hard it is to get rid of them. The more we see our heart is to get rid of them, the more we pray to God, the more we are humbled, the more God brings us grace. So it's our passions which give grace to us. People say, I don't want to have any passions. I don't want to know about my passions. I just want to be with God. No, that's not right. As Christians, it's the passions, seeing our passions, struggling with our passions, being beaten by our passions, being pulverized by the passions, makes us understand and go, I can't fight them. Like alcoholics and gamblers and drug addicts and all these people, like a lot of them, at the end they say, I can't fight it. I can't do anything. Those who are addicted to sexual things, pornography on the internet. How many Christians today are addicted to internet pornography? 
Let's see what the elder told him to stop and let's see what we can stop. Because, it's, this is important, being spiritually ignorant, he answered, I don't know of any passions I have. Then the elder said, do you smoke cigarettes? Yes, he replied. Well, sacrifice cigarette smoking for the love of your child and God will make her well. He promised he would do so and kept his promise. Gradually, his daughter was getting better un until she was completely cured and the doctors confirmed her health was back to normal. So, this is important. We have to know that also our sins affect those around us. A young lady said to me the other day, when I'm, when I'm not struggling, when I'm not praying, I notice that my mother, who's got a mental, she's mentally ill a bit, that she gets worse. When I'm better spiritually, I notice that my mum's better spiritually. I go, yeah, because when you're better, then you pray for her and God listens to you and he, and he helps her. The same as parents. When parents are spiritually better, then they are able to pray for their children and God listens to their prayers. But when parents are leading lives which are bad, then the parents can't give blessings to their children, they can't pray for their children, they can't help their children. A lot of children today have gone off, the younger ones, the, the real young ones, is because the parents are leading bad lives. For example, if the parents are committing adultery, which a lot of people do, that goes on to the children. I remember I spoke to a bishop years ago, and he goes, no, no, God is love. God's not going to punish the children because of the sins of the parents. What could I say? Because he's a bishop, I left it alone because it's rude to go against someone who's senior to you. I left it. not my job to teach him. And I always believe that. I've, I've, I've experienced it. I'm, I, I always believe that that's what happens. But I was always scared to say it to, in talks because people are going to go, what kind of a heresy is this? What kind of, what are you saying? Like you're, you're bad and this and that. So what I do is I just say, well, when the time comes, it will come. And then I, and I began to read it that Elder Paisio says the same. Does that mean I'm an elder? No, it just means that I am confirming that I am, uh, from my little experiences, I notice that that's, that that's correct. I do believe that the sins of the parents torment the children. For example, I, ring, well, I might ring up a person. A woman. She's got children. They might have, she might have rang me up. I get back to the, I get back to her. What's the problem? And the children are going crazy in the background. And I say to her, she goes, "Oh, my children." This and I go, "But you, you've got problems." She goes, "What do you mean?" I go, "You are doing something. There's something going on within you that's affecting the children." She goes, oh, "I've got bad thoughts against my husband, and I've got hate for him. Things like that." I go, "Well, that's what's happening. Your sin." is affecting the children. When a father goes secretly into some part of the house to look at internet pornography, then that is going to affect the children. It affects his soul, it affects his wife's soul, and it affects his children's souls. So therefore, this is something which needs to be fought. And the Holy Fathers say, when, when we have a passion, we always fight the most difficult passion first. The, the one which is the worst, 
that's the one you fight. When I was younger, I never understood that. But what I said, no, wouldn't you start on something easier and then you get confidence and then you build up? That's what I thought. But I said, but the elders say that you start on the worst passion first. So I said, well, if the elders said it, I have to submit. That's what it must be. Only now, and I'm starting to understand after a few years, that we must start on the worst passion because that's the one which is, obviously, because it's, it's serious. And as well, by fighting with the worst passion, we actually begin to learn spiritual life. We begin to see how big this beast is, this passion, whatever it is. Let's just say, in this case, it might be the internet porn. I'm not going to sit here and pretend and go, oh, you're a priest, you're talking about these things. I don't care what you think about that. And it's a problem, it's spreading through, and it's hit Orthodox Christians, it's hit the whole world. It's a reality. If you want me to be in Lululand, I can sit here and we can talk about Jack and Jewan up the hill and that one of them broke their crown and then someone prayed for them and she got better. But that's not what is spiritual life. The, the, the reality, Jack and Jewel doesn't exist. This does exist. People falling into fornication exists, which don't, people don't even care. Um, abortion exists. The internet pornography exists, which is the one of the worst things which is hit, and it's and it's and it's bad because it's in the houses. So therefore, looking at this example, we need all of us, even myself. If I've got monks under me, and I do something wrong, I notice that they go off. What do they go off? Because I don't have the boldness to pray for them because of my sin. I have to fix that up. I have to struggle with it. I have to confess it and fix that up so God can give me once again that boldness to ask help for those who I'm responsible for. The same as a priest in a parish. If the priest does something wrong and he hasn't fixed himself up, then his parishioners will be affected. Parents, when they do something wrong, if they don't fix themselves up, as Father Paisha said further back in the other segment, to go to confession, get rid of those sins, then and, and struggle, then the, your marriage will be affected, your children will be affected, etc. This particular man, he gave up his passion, the cigarettes, it's a passion. However, the father forgot, or rather broke the promise he, was, he had given to God and started smoking again. Simultaneously, the cancer appeared again in the daughter's head and her health condition became as serious as before. The father, once again, he went to Father Paisus to ask him to pray for the little girl and the elder told him, if you as a father cannot keep your promise and sacrifice your passion that destroys your health for the sake of your daughter, so not only is it destroying you, your health, by smoking, but it's also not helping your daughter because your daughter needs your prayers, then I cannot offer you any kind of assistance either. Full stop. Finito. Get it? In other words, not going to sit there and tell him, you know, stop smoking. That's it. He told him. What you're doing is wrong. And if you can't sacrifice, and how many people that I've met that will not sacrifice for their children? Women that are pregnant. They know that certain things they shouldn't do because it can affect the child. They continue to do it because they lack love. And someone say, oh, that's horrible. How can you say she doesn't love? Well, a lot of them abort them. So obviously she doesn't love her child. And a lot of people, a lot of women do do things that they shouldn't be doing because they lack love. 
Because if they had love, they wouldn't do it. And that's what the elder said about him. Elder Paisus had a very positive thinking. Even under the worst circumstances, he thought positively. He even managed to ex extract good out of something that's harmful by using them in a special way. Once, one of the visitors who had been greatly assisted by Father Paisios asked him as he was departing, Elder, is there anything that I can send you when I go back into the world? Remember that Mount Athos is cut off. You come in with a boat, you leave with a boat. You know, if you want to leave Mount Athos and there's no boat, you can't leave. You've got to stay there until the boat comes the next day. It's an area cut off from the world. Women don't go on Mount Athos. And those who have gone on disguised as men, and many of them have been punished. The elder explained that he did not want anything. Since the visitor insisted, he finally said as a joke, uh, send me some cigarettes, as a joke. The visitor left, and some time later, Father Paisus received in the, in the mail a package of what? Cigarettes. When the elder saw this, he was astonished. What was he going to do with all these cigarettes? On the one hand, he could not throw them in the garbage, wasting all that money. This is interesting, because what would we say? We'd say, oh, he's got to throw them away. That's what I would say anyway. Throw them away. Don't worry about the money. But the elder goes beyond what our logic is. Remember? Two and two is four. Our logic says two and two is four, but for God, two and two could be anything else. So the elders see things differently, and they go into a whole different way of thinking. And he said, I won't throw them away, because this was a lot of money spent. On the other hand, he did not want to give them away, causing health problems to someone else. So that's interesting. He's not going to throw them away, because it's a waste of money, but he's not going to give them to anyone, because it is going to ruin their health. So that what doesn't make sense. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense, does it? In the following days, Father Petrus asked one of his visitors if he smoked. And the man, not the, not the same person that sent them, another person now. And the man said, yes, I do. Yep. How many packets a day do you smoke? And the man said, three. Look, said the elder, smoking so many cigarettes is harmful to your health and also very expensive. And I add, the money can go to your children. The money can go towards your loan, you know. Things like that. I will offer you the cigarettes for free. The elder said, I've got some cigarettes here and I'll give them to you for free, but only under the condition that you smoke one packet a day. Only one packet a day. He agreed and the elder Paisios gave him the cigarettes, feeling satisfied for not throwing them away and for helping someone restrain his passion. Now, did the person stop smoking? I don't know. But did the person try to smoke one packet a day? Yes. In God's eyes, remember the example that we said, if someone's been taught from young to kill, Elder Paisius told me this personally, he said, if someone's been taught from young to kill, and he kills 20 people a day, it's just in his blood, he's been taught from young. But he makes, but one day he decides for God's sake, he goes, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and he, and he refrains from doing that, and he kills only five people. The elder said to me, he goes, in God's eyes, he could be better than me who am here on Manathos and being a monk from young and leading a spiritual life. And I got very confused with that. Because I was young, I didn't understand what he was talking about. To me, it didn't make sense. How can a person that kills someone be better than a person that's been a man? And he said, because God looks at the, how, how much someone tries. The elder said, I might try that much to do my spiritual life. 
that much. So let's just say we, we, we just say of a scale of one to ten, the elder tries um, his effort could be eight out of ten in his struggles in his spiritual life. Remember, we can always struggle more. But the person who kills someone, who kills people, but only kills five, he's, he makes such an extraordinary effort, or she, and he, he struggles 10 out of 10. Like he puts so much effort into refraining from killing the people and only killed five. In God's eyes, he could be higher because God looks at the attempt. So we might see someone falling, we might see someone being a prostitute, we might see someone taking drugs, we might see someone doing all these things, and we say, oh, those people are bad, but we don't know how much they are, how much, firstly, that they want to stop, that's important, and how much they, they are struggling to stop. I mean, that prostitute, for example, might have the potential to have, sorry for the expression, you know, 20 customers, but yet she, she might say, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong. She gets a bit of repentance, says, I don't want to do this. And she might only have, in that day, 11 customers because she refrained. And then she really put a lot of effort into that. In God's eyes, how do we know how she's going to be judged? And this is why we, the way we think God judges is wrong. And that's why the saints say, on the last day, we will be surprised who will be in heaven. We will see in heaven those who we never thought would be in heaven. And we're going to see in hell those who we thought would never be in hell. Because our way of thinking is wrong. Mm. This is a, a very uh, a disturbing example. Father A met a crippled man on the pathway leading to the cell of Father Basil. So a father was going, a priest or whatever he was, a monk, was going to the elder cell, and on the way he met someone who was crippled, who was also going to the elder cell. He was limping and walking with crutches. When the father asked him where he was heading to, he said he was going to visit the elder. Then he asked his cause for his disability. The father said, why are you limping? What's wrong with you? He replied, well, Father, some time ago I visited the elder. He had suggested to me then that I should correct myself in many ways. So this person went to the elder before he got crippled and said, and the elder said to him, you've got to stop this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. This is what we don't understand. We believe that the elder is going to tell us a few little magical things and go, oh, wow. And this is where we get confused that elders, that's not their function only. Their function is to tell us our sins, to tell us what we're doing is wrong, to reprimand us. That's also part of the elders. And that's why people don't like them. Or when they go and then they're told something, as this person, we'll see what's going to happen, which is what I said about Australia. Well, Father, some time ago I visited the elder. He had suggested to me that I should correct myself in many ways. However, stubborn as I was, I did not listen to him and behave rudely to him. And as a priest, I can say, I'm not an elder, but as a priest, we have authority to tell people certain things are wrong which are clear. The elders have an ability to see something which may not be clear that it's a sin, but the elders can see into it and say, that's wrong what you're doing. But for someone else to say, why is that wrong? For example, there was a father 
who had a daughter. And the daughter had like a special hair, I don't know, it was like very nice hair, where everywhere that that person went, everyone would be amazed at this girl's hair and go, oh, what a beautiful child, what beautiful hair. I've never seen hair like that. It's really beautiful hair and it's very nice. And I said to this father, that's not good because that child is going to grow up to be abominable because from my little experience, I've met people who were praised a lot when they were young and later on when they grow up, they can't get it out of them. They're very um, obsessed with themselves. They love themselves and they can't really lead spiritual lives. Elder Porfirios, which we're going to read next year, he says the same. He says it's the most damaging thing to subject your child to constant praises. Actually, Elder Porfirios, a great saint, he said that his mother never praised him. Now, you might say, oh, don't, we shouldn't have praised our children. We'll come to that next year. Anyway, I said to this father, don't do that because you're going to damage that girl. And I said, I think you should cut the hair. I think you should cut the hair. Remember, monks, nuns, if they're leading spiritual lives, which I try to do, a lot of times they can see things, they have more insight into things than what lay people do. And I said to this person, you're doing wrong. And he said to me, what do you want me to do? Disfigure my daughter. So that was what he said to me. Exactly like this person was rude to the elder. You might say, but you're not an elder. No, I'm not an elder, but I'm a priest. And as a priest, we do have the right to correct things. Maybe not to the extent that the elders did, because they had insight. But this was obvious. This I know is really bad to do that to a child. I've got people which before when I used to confess, I don't do it now because to me it's the, the most difficult thing on earth. Uh, and, I've, and I used to confess people who were praised from young. And they are really sick individuals who, they just can't humble themselves. And even when God knocks them down, they still can't humble themselves. That's how bad it is. So I was trying to prevent this person of his daughter becoming a catastrophe of life. And this dope said to me, he goes, what do you want me to do, disfigure my daughter? I was disgusted by the comment. And I, I left, and shortly after, I cut off from that family. I actually cut off, because I found the comment blasphemous. Now, one might say, oh, did you get offended? No, not me. No, no. If I got offended, I'll tell you. Sometimes I do get offended, and I can get very upset. And someone can come up and say something to me and I'll tell them off. Which I shouldn't, but out of my passions, I'll tell them off. I might get angry. That's a passion. But when, when the priest is speaking about something as, as important as this, and this person knew that I am uh, focused on the salvation of the children's souls. So he knew he knew me and he knew that that's my aim. If I'm saying something, I'm saying it because I am worried about the salvation of that child's soul, that that person is affecting the soul. And his answer to me was, um, which I, I believe is worse than, than this person here to the elder, because this person might have heard some things about the elder. I don't know. But this person knew 
that what I'm telling him was because I was concerned for his daughter. Because what do you want me to do? Disfigure her? And I said no, and I left. I left the person. Later on, the particular child became like um, a part that you know loves itself, things like that. But it, but it's a bit hard to love them. To love themselves when he didn't have to disfigure the child. The child became disfigured themselves, where they're not very good looking and look quite atrocious. You might say, "Oh, isn't that cruel that that happened?" I didn't curse the person. But God allowed it. But you say, but isn't that cruel that the child is punished because of the father? No, because God, who is the supreme father, knows what's good for the child, such that people don't look at it and go, how beautiful, but people go, oh, how revolting. Then that means that that's good for the child, for the salvation of that, of that child. Maybe in this life it will find it difficult to cope, being called that, those names. But in the next life, which is God's aim, is for her to be saved. So... However, stubborn as I was, I did not listen to him and behave rudely to him. He insisted in giving me good advice. The elder wanted to give him good advice, insisted. But he said, you know, I'm telling you, you know, exactly, I'm, this is for you, this is whatever, whatever, whatever. But when he saw that I had a negative disposition, in other words, when he noticed that the man was a pig, he said to him, you should bear in mind that God will allow for you to be involved in a car accident which will make you humble and help you correct yourself. Otherwise, you will not be able to become a sensible person. You will not come to your senses if something doesn't happen. Now, someone can say, does that mean that the elder wished the car accident? We'll see. The crippled man told Father A that the elder had also told him something else that he could not reveal due to a special reason. Who knows what it is? I mean, my guess, I shouldn't guess, but my guess it could be that he could have told him he's going to fall into something moral as well. Who knows? Could be other things. Whatever it is, he didn't want to mention it. So it must be something embarrassing. So he went on. Some time ago, I had a car accident. Unfortunately, my wife and child were killed and I became crippled. Being now more sensible, I decided to visit Elder Paisius again. After a few days, Father A went with Elder Paisius to repair the fountain where he was taking water from. He found the chance to ask exactly the other father, to ask exactly the elder what happened with this gentleman, what happened with this man, this crippled man, and how he had foreseen that he would have a car accident. So the monk saying to the elder, how did you know, elder, that he was going to have a car accident? The elder replied in the same way as he always did in similar situations. This is important. These things I can neither tell you nor explain to you. These things that I can neither tell you nor explain to you. What does that mean? And I'm asking the question, did the elder wish that man to be punished? I have read that some spiritual fathers have wished bad on someone. St. Paul actually wished for a person to become possessed that was doing sins and he wouldn't repent. And he said, I, I wish for Satan to torment him so he can be tormented in this life to be saved in the next. That's true. Some other uh, saints I know that they, would, they actually pronounced punishments on people. I don't really believe that the elder pronounced punishment on this person because from his writings, he just has got a whole different way of um, looking at things. I don't believe that he pronounced punishment on that, even though he had the authority to do so for the good of the person. Remember what he said? 
that this person himself said, I was corrected, I lost my wife, I lost my child, I'm crippled, because I, if that didn't happen to me, I would never have come to my senses. Now, some of you might say that think of things emotionally. Is that fair? Because that idiot wouldn't wake up to himself. Is it fair that his child and his wife died? See, logic, this is with our logic. With our, with our logic, we cannot understand how all this works. And why did this happen? He said it himself. If this didn't happen to me, then I would never have repented. And But the question remains, what does his child and wife have to suffer? And I'll tell you the answer, which is what he's trying to say. God's providence, which is what we'll talk about more in the next talk, is, see, if you look at the sky and you see everything's got its order, that God has created everything, even the atoms, the cells, the planets, everything with mathematical accuracy, everything is perfect, everything works in such a way. The Creator did that. If the Creator, if God as the Creator did that, how much more He does it for our lives? If something happens to people, here and there, whatever, they all have their part in God's plan to bring people to salvation. And the answer is true that the wife and the child died, but how do we know that they weren't saved because of the accident? We read that in the talks that we did, talk number two, um, the truth of the truth about death and dying on violent deaths, that God wipes a lot of sins away from people. We look at it and say, oh, the little child didn't live and the wife didn't grow to, to see her child or be with her husband. That's a worldly way of thinking. But the spiritual way of thinking, God's way of thinking is, why would what's it important if those people live to 80 or 90 or 100 years old or 120? There's one woman in Australia... She's um, 112, I think I um, saw, 112 years old, and she's still going. She thinks the secret is that she drinks Irish Bailey whiskey, that you know that milky stuff. But um, whether that's that that that's true or not is not really important. The point is, she's 112. Even if she lives to 120, 130, one day she's got to go. And our time here on earth is like a little speck in the ocean, like time, infinite time. And our life is like a drop in the ocean. Is a drop of an ocean significant? No. A drop in the ocean is nothing. It's the same as our life on earth is nothing. It's just a little drop in time, in eternity. And therefore, God doesn't look at whether you're going to live to 10, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80. The main thing is that God looks at is the salvation of the soul. Elder Paisius looked at the salvation of the soul. I am sure that the elder prayed that God send that person something to help him to come to for the salvation of his soul, for the salvation of his wife's, for the salvation of his child's soul. I don't think he cursed him, but I think in love, because the elder looks at things in a loving way for salvation, because remember what we said last time? What's the highest form of love on earth? When you care for the salvation of someone's soul. That's the biggest form of love. St. Maximus the Confessor says that that is the highest form of love. God's love. Christ became man, that God chose to become a man so that he can make men to bring mankind to salvation. That's the whole purpose of him becoming man, for our salvation. That whole thing of Christ's conception, the birth, his growing up, the baptism, 
his ministry for three and a half years, his crucifixion, his in, when he was entombed, his resurrection, his ascension, the Pen- Pentecost, all that, what's it all to do with for people to be saved? If God went to all that trouble for, for people to be saved, then why is it such a, uh, uh, for people to say, oh, like the little child died and the wife died and things like that. That's because we don't see things spiritually. And this is what the elder is trying to say. He's trying to say that God's ways cannot be these things that I can neither tell nor explain to you. That God's ways are so unknown, so we can't understand it, that if we try to understand it, we'll go crackers. We'll actually go mad. And that's why he says, back off. Understand that God loves. God understand that God's trying to bring everyone to salvation. And why he allows wars, why he allows diseases, why some children die when they're born, and why children do this, and why God even allows for children to be aborted, to be aborted. Some fathers say those children won't be saved. Some fathers actually say that. Other fathers say they said that because he didn't want to encourage abortions. But in reality, those children are martyrs because they're being killed by their own parents. So, you know, things are very mysterious. Never try to understand the spiritual with your head. If you like, go and understand some mathematics or some books in your head. Maybe you can understand a bit of geography, and even that people don't understand properly. Maybe you can look at some biology, and even that people don't understand properly. But there's some understanding we try to use our heads. Don't use your heads to understand the spiritual. It won't work, and you will go mad. One of the visitors had been influenced by some rumours he heard regarding extraterrestrial creatures. In other words, that there's life on the other planets. When he visited Father Pacers, he asked him, Father, I hear talk about extraterrestrial creatures that I want, and I want you to tell me whether they exist or not. He replied, the machinery of the old factories was put in motion with the movement of cylinders connected to the strap. You know, he goes on to mechanical things to try and explain something. The strap made, makes the cylinders revolve and turn was put in motion, the rest of the factory. However, when one of the cylinders was damaged and had to be repaired, it, had, it was removed from the connecting strap and replaced by another cylinder which produced no work. It was solely used in order to put the strap of the damaged cylinder around it. And you go, uh, I can't. Sorry, but I can't comprehend it all now. It's just, um, that's not important anyway. He's going on to using an analogy of machinery and things like that. And he's saying, let's just get to the point, because I've got to reread it and I'm tired. Um, the cylinder was called the fuel because it... Anyway, he said to the man, you remind me of this cylinder. This particular cylinder in the factory was called the fuel because it somehow corrected things. I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure. He goes, you neglected your spiritual work and your mind revolves like the crazy cylinder around and around. In other words, you shouldn't look and involve yourselves in these things. Look at the spiritual. Some people say, oh, the Antichrist, or the 666, or this, or that, or all these type of things. You know, once when I was in Jerusalem, a person, some, even some monks, they said to me, oh, um, the prophet Elijah is here. The prophet Elijah, because in the Old Testament, in the Fathers say that, uh, when the Antichrist comes, the prophet Elijah will come and warn the Christians that that is the Antichrist. And they actually said that, uh, the, and these were monks, 
And they were, but, but these monks were obsessed with 666 and, and obsessed with um, Antichrist things. And uh, they said to and I, I heard them speaking amongst themselves when I was in Jerusalem, and they said, yes, he's in the city, and he's holding a sign, and things like that. And I just couldn't believe my, my, my ears that uh, these monks that should know better were actually thinking that this person who was probably delirious in the streets of Jerusalem was um, Prophet Elijah. And you might say, how do you know he wasn't? Well, what I'm telling you was 20 years ago. And if you read the Holy Fathers, they said the Prophet Elijah will come when the Antichrist is here for seven years, three and a half years acting good and three and a half years showing his true colours. And therefore, that's 20 years ago. And people become obsessed. That's what Elder Pace is trying to say, that we should look at our spiritual life and ask for God's enlightenment. And by having God's enlightenment, then we will understand things better. Don't get involved too much in these things of extraterrestrials and UFOs, which are, lot, which are demonic. We've, we've explained all this before. I mean, they say that in these other planets that they're, that they're so advanced, like they are so advanced compared to humans, which is interesting. They're really, really advanced. When people used to see UFOs in the 1940s, the flying saucers were, that they saw were like, um, like, a, like a flying saucer, like it was, a, you know, it was plain. But then in the 19, let's just say further on, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, when people saw other UFOs, they were more advanced. And I was just saying to myself, well, these people that are so advanced, they seem to develop similar to us. In other words, in the 1940s, people's understanding of a flying saucer was like a plate. And then as time went on and technology got better, then the flying saucer got flashing lights and beams and all these things which are similar to what you see on Star Wars and all these shows. And you say to yourself, well, if these planets are so advanced, uh, how come they seem to develop at the same time as Earth? And um, that, uh, that shows itself. And even the little monsters that they say that they see, they've all got different things. So they, they, they develop. All these things are silly, but unfortunately people believe them because they don't have the orthodox teachings which helps us to explain demonic phenomena. I read in the book by um, Elder Hieronymus that there was an account there of Someone, no, not Elder Hieronymus, Elder Paisios. He said that there was someone who used to curse their children. I think the father cursed the baby because the baby was crying and the father couldn't sleep, so he cursed the baby. And in the night, the baby would go missing. And then they had to call the priest to do special prayers so that then the baby would return. And what the elder said was that the baby was being taken physically by demons. Now, some of you might say this is just stupid and made up, and that's, that's okay, you can believe that. Um, but what does that show? It shows that UFO abductions is possible because demons can physically take someone away and bring them back. So, and we know from Elder, from St. Cyprian and Justina's life, that St. Cyprian was able, with the aid of the demons, to, and, and in Africa we read as well, that there are Africans who are into voodoos and all those type of things, that they are able to um, move from place to place in the air. 
So if the demons can take a person from point A to point B, using mathematical terms, then they can also take them from Earth into a supposed flying saucer, which is really their imagination, because the demons work on the imagination, so the people actually believe that they are in a flying saucer, when it's just a spiritual delusion, and then come back again and then say they were there and people believe it. But all these things, people in the Orthodox Church, we don't believe it because we have not theories that were made up recently. We have books that have been written on these matters from 2,000 years ago. The life of, El of Saint Cyprian and Justina, which some of them might be there, the, that was 1,700 years ago. And it goes in there, all the magic that he could do and all the abilities that he had. That he could make people divorce, that he could kill people, that he could uh, cause famine and diseases, and he could cause uh, plants to die up, and he could cause rain and hail and all these things that that can be done. So it's not for us that's something new that all of a sudden uh, Harry Potter is going to teach us about magic, which is mixed with some truths, but most of it lies. And we have Orthodox priests that actually say, this is what I'm saying, the discernment, Orthodox priests that say, oh, our children should read Harry Potter because that teaches them to read. And the priests that go against Harry Potter, like myself, are backward, stupid, idiots, darkened, and I don't know what else they can call us, every name under the sun, that we are the worst of the people because we're against. One bishop actually wrote, that if the Holy Fathers lived in our days, that they would be disgusted if they would see how people have gone against Harry Potter. That was a bishop. And by the way, all calendars bishop, which they're supposed to be more strict as well. Recently, a bishop came to visit me and told me, this is now George's answer, you must become a priest and a spiritual father. And Elder Baisha says, I have an impediment. I've done something which doesn't allow me to become a priest. And the bishop said, what have you done? And he said, during the war, I was a radio operator. And I became the reason for many people to be killed. Because I notified the general to send planes to bomb the enemy when it was necessary. So, the elder would be, he was a radio operator. And he had to communicate with headquarters. And when the enemy would come, as we know that he would communicate with them and say, send planes, bomb that area because the enemy's coming to attack us and that would happen. Then the bishop said, the cook has also an impediment since he's feeding those who fight and kill other people. Meaning, the person who would cook for the soldiers, he's got an impediment too. I mean, just logic, which is strange. I don't know if the cook has an impediment, said the elder. The only thing I know is that I myself cannot become a priest. Then Father Paisus went on. There was another reason for which I did not wish to become a priest. It was because I wanted to live a monastic life the way I wanted it. I wanted to enjoy it. Interesting. If you are a spiritual father, you don't have any choice but to see everyone who comes to you. When you are just a monk, you can regulate your life. In other words, you want to see someone, you see them, you don't, you don't. A priest has to be all the time on call. He didn't want that. And you know that even though he had that impediment, there will be thousands of bishops would say to him, we'll make you a priest. I mean, you know, sometimes people don't keep the rules. But anyway, when you are just a monk, you can regulate your life. However, now things have changed since I'm forced to adapt my life to the schedule of my visitors. As he got older, 
and people started coming to him more, he began to open up his doors more and he couldn't say no like he could when he was younger before God gave him the gift. Once God gave him that gift, then he had to obey God and said, you now must take care of the people that come to you and no longer just dedicate your life to your own spiritual life. Now, some people might say that monks don't care about people. Maybe that elder did, but in general, monks don't. Elder Paisus in his book, some of the books at the back said, that people say that monks don't help, help in this life. We just saw that he did. But in general, they say monks go and lead a selfish life. They go in a monastery. They don't care about people. And the answer to that, he said, is that monks, through their prayers, as St. James says, a, monk, uh, a righteous person's prayers is very powerful. Very powerful. And monks and nuns, because they're dedicating their life to Christ, love Christ, but they also love people. And when a monk and a nun prays for the world, their prayers are very effective, very powerful. We saw that that suicide case. But I tell you that when it's um, midnight in Mount Athos and they've got monastics everywhere there and they, and they serve everyday liturgy, they said if we had spiritual eyes to be able to look at Mount Athos at the time when they're serving in the midnight to the morning, serving liturgy, we would see with our eyes, if we could see it spiritually, that the whole of Mount Athos is on fire divine light that that's how much it's the prayers of the monastics which are holding the world so john christum says when the monasteries are empty the jails are full the hospitals are full when the monasteries are, are full with monks then there's less crime less catastrophes because they pray for for marriages for children those on drugs those who are fought with, with, with their passions, those under the influence of demonicness. We read them all in, in the church today. People that are lost, people that are kidnapped, people that are abused, all these different people the, the, the monasteries pray for. The priests in the world also pray for these things. And the liturgy happens. But when the liturgy is done by a person who has purity like they do in the monasteries, not all the monasteries, but a lot of the monasteries that are spiritually there, those prayers penetrate the heavens and give help to all the world. To actually believe that monasteries don't help and that they're just people that are selfish and lead their own life is not true. And if you look in America, how many of the Greek Americans, for example, run to the monasteries, to, those, to Elder Ephraim's monasteries, and become enlivened and rejuvenated as Orthodox, and in Serbia, and in Russia. Now the communism has fallen in Russia. People are running to the monasteries. A lot of times people don't go to parish priests because some of them don't have, they don't have what, the, what they have in the monasteries. Just one thing I forgot to mention, I wish I mentioned it before, just quickly, is where we have this image of that monk that said to me that St. Eustin used to knit socks, which is absolutely ridiculous. This woman rang me up from Greece. And she, she's um, unmarried, and she had a sister, the twin, twin sister, but not identical, but they were, they were born at the same time. 
And her sister had psychiatric problems. She was really, really, really mentally ill. She was often in hospital. She even tried to commit suicide. She was a, a, a person that suffered a lot. She had, I think she had um, schizophrenia and psychosis and things like that. She was on medication. And um, she, as I said, many times she was institutionalized. But later on, through the prayers of the church, she was able, for the last years of her life, to be able to keep out of the institutions and felt a little bit better, even though she was still quite sick, but enduring. And what happened was that this woman got sick. And this woman that spoke to me, she was very close to her sister. And she died. Abruptly, she died. And she often would ring me, or she rang me and she said, I, I feel guilty because I didn't help my sister. And I go, what do you mean you didn't help your sister? Because, oh, well, maybe if we went to another hospital, maybe the doctors weren't good and that she could have went to another hospital and lived. And I said, well, why do you want her to live? She goes, because she's my sister. I go, yeah, but what's good for her? What was good for her? Did you, and she said, oh, you know, I had all these people praying for her before she died, when she was sick, because she got like a pneumonia or something like that. And she also, when she died, people were, were um, praying for her. And I said, so you had all these people praying for her. You know how powerful that is? She goes, I said, was it monasteries too? She goes, yeah, monasteries as well. And elders, like really spiritual people. I go, that's, that is really, really fantastic thing like for her to have that. And she actually told me that at her funeral, the bishop went as far as to say that, sometimes people say silly things, but I'll just tell you what he said. And he said, um, we're not going to pray for her. We're going to pray to her. But, you know, some priests say things which are, you know, sometimes not, not right. And it was interesting. And I said, oh, what did the elders say? What did the other you know, spiritual people say? They go, oh, they all believe that she's saved. And I said, so what's your problem? She goes, oh, because, you know, um, if, she, if I went to another doctor, you know, keep on going on with those thoughts. And then I helped her. And she goes, oh, you've helped me and you really helped me. And that's, then in a couple of weeks later, she brings me again. Same story. And I got guilty and my sister and this and that. And I said to her, if your sister could speak to you, you know what she would say to you? Stop your stupidity. Leave me alone. I'm better off where I am. I, what do you want her? I said, do you know that she could have fallen into another crisis? She could have actually gone mentally ill again. And maybe this time she might have actually done something to herself. Just le leave be. This is, God knows when's the best time. This is what I told her. God knows when is the best time. She had prayers before she died. And she had prayers after she died. And not only that, that when she was in the coffin... It's interesting that even though this woman was 50, 55, she said, oh, she looked like she was 30. I go, yes, I know that. That's what happens. That's a sign. That's a very good sign. So she goes, oh, you've helped me. Then she rings up again, one more time. And she said, I went to an elder in Athens. They say he's, a, he's very good. I go, yes, and what happened is I told him the story about my sister and the elder said, in front of everyone in the church, because she went and told him quietly, you know, father, my sister, and I feel upset because she's gone. And, he, and this is what the elder said. Atheist! Unbeliever! Get out! You atheist! And then she goes... When you talk to me, you don't talk to me like that. Look the way he spoke to me. 
And then I said to myself, because when she rang up the third time, before she told me the story, I said to myself, this person's a bit too much. Like, like what the elder said there, like they just go on and on and on. I go, look, you know, I'm getting a bit upset, but I didn't want to say anything to her because I don't know her properly and I might say something wrong and tip her over the edge. It's very sensitive when you're dealing with people. But when she told me what, the, what that elder said, I said to and she goes, wasn't it bad what he said? I go, oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have to say that it's fantastic. It's exactly what I wanted to tell you, but I just, just couldn't do it because, I don't know, sometimes I can do it, uh, but sometimes I can't. And um, this time, he took the words right out of my mouth. I, it was fabulous. I said, because it is. I said, I even had the thought, when you rang me up the third time, before you told me the story about the elder, I had a thought in my mind which says, this is really blasphemy. Like, it's just so disgusting that she goes on and on about her sister because she wants her sister to be here on earth so she won't be lonely when her sister suffered and she's gone to a better life and she's actually saved. Why would you want her to come back or why would you go on and on about it? What the elder said was good. So what I'm trying to say there is that elders are not just people that knit socks and elders are not just people who tell you your name, but elders also denounce and say to you when you're doing something wrong. And this is the reason why we don't have them in Australia, because if we did, I pretty much would say that if not, all of us wouldn't listen to them. And by not listening to them, we put ourselves in the situation of that man who lost his daughter and lost his child. Don't ask for things that we're not ready for. Spiritually, we are not ready to have someone, those type of people, because we're not going to listen to them. And I know from experience that people, even if they go to a priest who has some insight, not an elder, but a priest who has some care for souls, like that dope with, that, with, with his daughter. I didn't wish him bad for his daughter, but to actually say to someone, to a priest, who cares for the soul of that child and to say, what do you want me to do, disfigure my daughter? He brought punishment on himself. Why did I go away? Shouldn't I have stayed and tried to help him? No. Why? Because I, make a, I will make his situation worse and worse things will happen. For me, for him, sorry, it's better for me to go away from that person. Sometimes we have to detach ourselves from certain people like the elder did. When they came to his cell, did you listen to what? I remember when I was there once, I was sitting there on those logs and someone came. And the elders started going, go, go away. Goes, whoa, 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 whoa. It was like um, a rodent, you know, like those um, weasels, you know. And he was there and he was, and he was going, um, I want to speak to you. He goes, no, did you listen to what I said? He says, uh, no, no, go. go. Do what I told you and then come back. See, this is what we don't want. What do we want? We want someone, like in a Catholic way, who is in the air with a cloud right on a cloud and his hands are out and he's got all light coming out and then for that person to sit there and go your name is John you're an architect you got two children right that's the one after we finish with that person that that holy person then we go down to you know Madame Caterina down the street and she's not on the cloud, of course. She's on her couch. And she's looking at the coffee. 
I heard Greek coffee is the best because it makes more of a pattern. So, because the instant coffee, when you drink it, there's nothing left, so they can't read it. So what they do is they've got to drink the Greek coffee. So they drink the Greek coffee, there's all this mud left. And then she looks at it, and from that she says, I can see that your name's John, you're an architect, and you've got this. So that's exactly the same thing as the saint in the cloud did. And this is what, this is not elders. Elders correct our lives. Elders tell us when we're doing wrong things. Elders bring us closer to God. Elders bring us to repentance. Elders instruct us. That's what an elder is. If we are ready for those type of people, then we pray to God and he will give us someone to take care of us. But if we haven't practiced even listening to our wives, to our husbands, to our parents, to our priests on other matters, how are we going to listen to the elders? See the difference? First practice obedience to those around us, to our boss, to our teachers, to those who are older than us. Do we practice that? No. Disobedient. And if, you, and if I read to you, I didn't have time, the background of Elder Paisios is where he lived in, in Asia Minor, his parents, the holiness, the way of life, the fasting that they did, the praying. They used to get up at 12 o'clock midnight and pray. Some of them, they would pray all night. Are we going to get up 12 o'clock midnight? So we don't lose our nanny? So this is the difference between us and them. We're not ready. Maybe perhaps we won't ever be ready. But what we need to do is practice our spiritual life now with the circumstances that we've got. Remember that person? I want to see myself. He saw himself and he ran. And he never recovered. He lost it. Any questions to end the um, the talk? Abram, yes. What's the comment on the chairs where, for example, there'll be a group and the priest will put their hand on the people and ask the Lord to and then all of a sudden they start walking and crying and feeling emotion and look good? I've seen some of them. Sometimes I fall into a sin because I roll around laughing, which is wrong. And other times, when I come to my senses, I really feel sorry that they're being tricked. Firstly, as those Benny people, Benny Hinn, whatever his name is, and all them, some of them are actually uh, not even real. They're actually part of the, the act. Some of them may be real that they were sick. The Holy Fathers say that the devil can heal to some extent. But... As Elder Haralambos Vasilopoulos, which is an excellent book, Miracles That My Eyes Have Seen, and he, wrote, he also wrote a book on magic, he also said that you can get better at times, and, but your, your soul is tied. And a lot of times they do become sick again. Like you might see it then and there, but nothing really spectacular. It's not something where they might be limping. Why are they limping? You know what I mean? There might be some type of nerve problem. The devil can cure to some extent. But later on, those people do get sick. But the only problem is they get sicker and also they're tied to him because it's demonic. Now, if some people have gone to someone who they thought was a Christian, the man of God, that's up to God to judge. For us, we go to the church. We, get, we go to the doctors, we get prayers read, like we did today, I read those prayers for you. If I was holy, the prayers would be even more powerful. I'm not, but still a priest, and therefore the prayers have some 
power. And that's why when a priest reads prayers, he ha uh, there, there are healings. I've seen healings. And that's the priesthood. We stick close to what God has given us, not to them. So yes, there could be healings. They can jump around, they can do somersaults, but what happens to them later, from what I've read as well, that a lot of them get sicker. And a lot of them also can commit suicide because they're going to like become in communion with demons. It's very dangerous. Does that answer your question at all? Other questions? Mm -hmm. When your husband, for example, tells you, I think that you should in the kitchen put that there instead of putting it there. And then you say, but I want it there. But he says, put it there. And who's right? Well, neither might be right. But for God, what does he look? He looks at the man as being the head of the family. If, we're, uh, if the woman is obedient, then God will give her grace. And even if it's wrong, then the man will say later on, I'm sorry, I mucked that up because the child knocked it over. I didn't think of it. I'm sorry. But, that, but at the end, who wins? You win because you listened. So instead of trying to go into a deep spiritual thing of now I'm going to concentrate on my thoughts and not to trust my thoughts and go into really deep spiritual life, which can make us go cuckoo, we just use it in everyday life. Children the same, parents, um, adults with each other, when your boss tells you at work to do something, do it. Do it. What do, what do people say today? I can't even find young apprentices to do the work because when I tell them something, like it might be a person who might be a, um, a carpenter, a carpenter for 30 years, uh, a person who's got rich experience in his carpentry work for years. And a lot of these people, they love to teach others how to do the job. And they, so when they get apprentices and they say to the apprentice, okay, you know, I'm enthusiastic. I want to teach you to be a carpenter. Now, what we do is we do it like this. I don't want to do it like that. I want to do it like that. Okay. And a lot of the complaints, that's why they get them in from Asia, because they're more obedient. Maybe they're more spiritual than us. But they're, but they're um, Buddhists or they're Muslims, some of those from Asia. How can they be more spiritual? Perhaps. In the, maybe on the last day, maybe... Uh, we might be surprised of some things that we who we pride, pride ourselves of being orthodox, who can't even be obedient to little things in the world, and yet we've got other people who are obedient and do listen and have some humility and listen, like those Olympic people that some of you saw in those Olympics uh, recently. Like they love their coaches, whatever you call them, and they're obedient to them. And even though the coach is there and telling them off and ripping into them and screaming at them and doing this, they accept it because they trust their coaches because their coaches are going to get them the gold medal. They trust. Why can't we trust in God? Why can't we trust our spiritual fathers? Why can't we trust that? And we try and be obedient. So we can be obedient to things around us, but we don't. So don't go into big spiritual things and start controlling your thoughts because you go crazy. First, practice obedience around you, even as a, as a wife to your husband, as a child to your parents, as a husband even to your wife. Sometimes if your wife can advise things and you should listen and not just be think that you're, as we said before, King Kong. And we've also got um, at work, at school, etc. Does that answer your question? Any other questions? Yes, Abram. Uh, 
Forgetfulness is can come from a number of reasons. It can come from biological reasons, like low iron. It can come from sugar problems. It can come when you've got thyroid problems. It can come from stress. It can come from psychological problems, emotional trauma. There's a lot of reasons why people can't don't have good memories. But also, it can come from the demons that when we they make us forgetful. That's one of the sins. Forgetfulness is actually a sin. So in our night prayers, it says, "Forgive me for my." having lustful thoughts and having this or having bad thoughts against people and for forgetfulness. So it's one of the it's one of the passions as well. It can be physical reasons, it can be spiritual reasons. These people can muck around using this voodoo type of stuff, whatever they're using. And as I said, the same thing. Perhaps in the beginning you might get some extra uh, memory. Remember that ascetics who fell into deception in the desert, holy people, but they fell into deception. Um, they were able to remember the Bible off by heart, things that they didn't know it before, and they were able to remember the Bible and they could quote the Bible and have a very good memory. But later on, when the elders saw that they had gone off and prayed for them, they asked for God to take away the demon that was telling them those things and helping them to remember. So the demons can help us to remember. So we can go to these places and think for a while, oh, I'm remembering. But the problem there is that, again, we become tied to them. And that's why all these things like that guy, what's his name, that Robin, Robert, what's his name? That, the guy with the... Anthony Robbins, and, you know, you're powerful, and you're this, and you're that, and he's telling you, and, the, the, you know, the calcium of his teeth is really, because he's got really big teeth, and he's talking to you, and he's saying, you can do it, and you can do this, you can do that, and all that type of stuff. This is just all pride. This is not orthodox Christianity. It's opposite. So these things look good, Abram, but behind it is lurking a demon. Once a presbyterian, you know, we know what presbyterian means? A priest's wife. She said to me years ago, before I was even a priest, she goes, Oh, all you talk about is demons, she goes to me. All you talk about is demons continually. As she was putting on her makeup. And I said to her, uh, and the mascara and the rouge, and I was like, oh, sorry, I thought it was like, um, I wanted to ask her, but I didn't want to be real. I go, do you actually put your head in an oven to bake it on? Because it looks like it's just so solidified on your face. And she... Um, I didn't want to say that because I knew she'd go and tell her husband and the husband would get upset. And so I, uh, and I said to her, but isn't, what, what, what's the problem? Do I, he says, oh, you always talk about demons. And I said to her that um, when we're in warfare, then we have an enemy. And that's why when you read Elder Paisius and the Saints, etc., when Christ taught the Bible, the Holy Fathers, they talk about the enemy. It's like we're in war now with Afghanistan there, with the Taliban, they, you know, all that. And we're sending Australian soldiers. So we have this, pretend now you are the Australian soldiers and I'm the general. And speaking to you and go, okay, man, you're going to go to Afghanistan. And I start talking about everything, about life in Afghanistan and all these type of things, but don't talk to you about the enemy. Don't even mention the word Taliban. All of a sudden, you all go to... Um, what do you call that place? Afghanistan. Okay. Shortly later, 
we have these big planes. And in the planes are all coffins, and all of you are in them. And you all come back dead, because I never told you about the enemy. How can a person be in the spiritual life and not know his enemy, and not understand the enemy? And that's what she was saying, because, oh, you talk about the demons. First, firstly, I don't even talk about it all the time. And if I do, I speak about it in context with, with um, what the fathers say. And we need to be aware of the enemy. But, it, but, but not to become obsessed with it, where we think, as I said before, that, oh, look, that leaf moved. There's a demon behind the pot plant. That's what people do. The fan moved a bit. There's a demon sitting up there. You know, like all these things are... are, are um, where we go stupid, you know, like Greek women, they're into that. They say, oh, the, the exop of all, that means that uh, the being who we don't mention his name. That's that they speak like that. You know, we don't want to mention his name. And then they go on and all these silly things. And one woman said, I was walking along and she goes, the exop of all, which is the demon, pushed me and I fell down. <laughs> right? I go, how do you know it was him? She goes, I was walking. There was nothing wrong with me and all of a sudden my foot got tangled and then I fell because it was the demon, the exorcist came and pushed her like a baby. There. I'm going to push you and fall down because, you know, your holiness is so great that you're burning me. Don't worry. The demons don't act too much on us because we're not really bothering them that much. We bother them when, we, when we're repenting, when we're doing a spiritual life. If we're looking at our internet pornography or if we're looking at other things, we're doing bad things, don't worry, demons don't bother us. Okay, if we're having uh, um, um, drugs and other things which are wrong and disobedience, like for example, a woman doesn't listen to her husband or the husband who treats the wife badly and then they're going to think that the demon is going to come and push them or do something to them. I don't think so. If they start doing the commandments, then I might believe it. Abraham, what's wrong with you today? You got um, you must have ate the neutral grain. Go. Yeah, that's a good... That's a very good question. Yes. We've seen those images of people from other religions, I don't want to mention them, you know, and they've got little children, they're, they're going like this and just really brainwashing type of thing and become very fanatical, like a lot of those suicide bombers and that. Like a lot of them have been brought up and brainwashed that the West is bad and this is bad. I, I, I really dislike that. And... Um, Your question is, is excellent. I'll just, uh, this is, has to be answered more in other talks. We, we shouldn't intellectualize religion to children. Children don't learn by us speaking to them. They learn from our example and our holiness. Elder Porfirios and Elder Paisios, they say that it's the, the parent's holiness, the parent's spiritual life is what goes across to the children. You can send your children to Sunday school, you can tell your children about God, you can tell your children about the devil and all these things, but it doesn't do anything. And a lot of those kids turn out to be atheists or go away from the church. The children learn spirituality, for example, this thing of this practice where in some churches they take the children out during the liturgy to go and do Sunday school. That's, that, that's Protestant, that, that's not right. We leave the children in the liturgy. The children have to be given the grace. 
and the parents impart the grace that they receive because they're older and they know spiritual life from God and it goes on to the children and by I don't even believe that you should treat read little children Bible stories because they don't understand them and you're intellectualizing meaning that you're the child's brain's not developed enough to understand like this silly father once was reading a life to his child which is only three years old or three and a half and he read Saint Nectarius to him which says that Saint Nectarius there was two he had, a, he had a ecclesiastical school and some students were fighting so the Saint Nectarius punished himself by fasting to so that those two, that those students can reconcile or something like that and I said to him, what are you doing now? How the child look? He goes, I looked confused. Like, of course he's confused. They don't understand concepts like that. Children, this is my opinion now, people can get upset. Those books there for older children, they're meant for them to read. When can children read? Seven or eight. When do children start confession in the Russian church? Seven. When do children start confession in the Orthodox church? Some say eight, nine, you know, it depends on their maturity. In other words, when children are ready, when they're able to understand things better, when they understand morals and God and things like that, you can't teach. That's why I don't, I really, many years ago I said to myself, I feel guilty because I don't talk to the young kids that were in my, in my congregation. I haven't spoken to them about spiritual things. These ones are different, they're older. And, and that's why they're listening, see? But some parents would bring their children where they're there and they're playing with blocks on the ground and expect them to listen to me. I mean, how stupid, even if they're four years old, five years old, too young, six years old, too young. Um, and, I, and I got guilty and I said, oh, maybe I should be trying to teach children about spiritual life, warfare, whatever, all these things. So I, I, I gathered the children and I started to try and speak to them. I was going, uh, 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 and I couldn't do it. Nothing was coming out. Now you might say, for me, when I speak here for three hours, I don't stop, do I? But um, with the children, I was, going, uh, 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 I was like I had a speech impediment. And I just couldn't speak and I felt really awkward. I felt awkward. I felt something was not right. So I backed off until later on, through reading a bit and asking a bit, I realised that children don't learn, little children like three, four, five, don't learn by intellectual by speaking about those things they can't even understand life they can't even understand the things of life why is that moving for daddy it's electricity what's that electricity well it's a flow of electrons and it comes apart, comes along the, the the and some people do that it goes along the current and we have a power station what's a power station a power station is this this you can't do that if you can't explain to children things of the world you can't explain to young children the things of spiritual Yep. No, I, parents asked me that question, excellent question. Parents have said to me, um, some children have asked them very you know, detailed questions, intimate questions, like even reproduction, things like that. They don't, they don't, they don't know fully what's going on. They just say, what, where's this, where's that? And I say to them, you say to the child, you're too young to understand that at this stage. When you get older you'll understand them better what's wrong with that that's the answer do we have to explain everything you know when a child asks about um uh, asks the mother what are what are those things that you've got and goes well 
Let's talk about it. Menstruation. Menstruation is this and go on and on and on and on and on to an eight-year-old person. This woman actually says, I think I'm going to get to the stage where I'm going to teach my child about menstruation. And I said to her, why? Because oh, that's what they do at school. This one was homeschooling. And I said to them, I, I confess these people when they grow up, a lot of women, a lot of girls that were taught these things from young became very disturbed. Because what, what should we do? Simple. When you see the child coming close to the age, you explain to them, because they're 11, they're much older, you go, look, you know, this and this can happen, and when that happens, just tell me, blah, blah, blah. that's it. And I've actually followed some examples of that, and I say to the parents, I had a go. Nothing. Just didn't become disturbed, didn't go, of course not. Because you didn't go and explain it to her when she was seven or eight or nine, you explained it to them when they were older, and they understood it. So this is even sexual matters and all these matters, they don't have to know. These things that, they, that they're saying in the Department of Education, we must teach our children about all these things, is not correct. Children are not able to cope with it. Children need love, attention, and your prayers, and your sacrifice, and your repentance. The more parents repent, the more their children become holy. We don't have to sit down and explain to them the parable of the five loaves. It's not necessary when they're young. When they're older, yes. Now, that's my opinion. I hope I don't get inundated with emails and, and things like that. If someone's got something different. I've never read in the Holy Fathers that in the ancient times that they had Sunday schools. Never, never read it. Never, that's Protestant idea. Why? Because Protestants didn't have grace. So they have to speak to, the, to their people. They can't transmit grace because they, they lack grace. The Orthodox Church has grace. A child comes into the Orthodox Church. What do you have to explain to them? Nothing. He sits there and the grace affects them. And then they become holy. And as they grow up, then they begin to understand what is the devil, what's God exactly, and things like that. Yep? Um, I'm not sure where I heard it or I read it, but Christ himself in Ah, oh, it's excellent. Thank you for that. Christ in the example in the Gospels, took the children, sat them on him, he caressed them, he blessed them. That's it. Didn't teach them. You might say, oh, they were very young. They were very young. It doesn't say that. They were, like, if you see icons, those children, some of them were young, like, you know, could have been five, six. He blessed them, he showed love to them, and that's it. He didn't sit down and say... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be, you know, and all these things. He didn't do any of that. He did that to the parents, not to the young children. When they get older, see, these are the, these are the children, for example. These children are the ones I feel guilty about. I go, oh, I'm not teaching them any scripture. I'm not a very good priest. I should be teaching them scripture. And I tried to explain it to them. I couldn't do it. But then, what's happening now? Well, they're older. They're sitting there. They've been sitting here for three hours, and they're listening and comprehending to a certain extent. That's not, that, that doesn't matter. What they understand is what they know. But at least they've got the mental capability of listening and understanding. Any other things? Boris, any questions? Olga? Nothing? Okay, good. So, um... Those who weren't present can come and get holy water at the end.
And I've also prepared for you um, this that you can take home. A nice, since we're doing the elder, and next month is going to be teachings of the elder, even though we did do that a bit, but that was more encounters. I've given you this. Now, as you notice in the church, I did a panahida, which is a memorial prayer. We don't do special prayers as if the, he's a saint because he hasn't been formally canonized but privately people if they feel it can pray but if you but what you do is in the church you put his name in the liturgy because he hasn't been canonized so you put his name in the liturgy you give it to the priest the priest commemorates that on your behalf if this if he is being granted uh, that he's a saint then the prayers that you are doing for him will come back on you. And after years, 20 years or 10 years or 15 years, 20 years, when the church feels fit, then they will formally canonize him and then we can have services done, like paraclesis and akathists and things like that, to him. But at this time, that's how it is. That's what was Archbishop John in San Francisco. We used to, I went there when I went, years ago, and, we did, and, I, and I ordered a panahita. Some other people went recently, and now they can do prayers as a saint in the church. But before that, people used to pray to him as a saint, privately. So this is what you can do. You can have this in your icon corner, the, the portrait of the elder, and you can pray if that's what you feel like. But remember, in the church, you only can do memorial prayers for him in liturgy. Saint Ksenia, before she was canonised of Russia, people used to go to her cemetery, her grave, and get the priest to do a special service like I did then when I did in there, a quick one, and then they would pray to her and get what they wanted. But they couldn't get the priest to do special prayers as if she's a saint, because she wasn't canonised, even though in reality she was. We have order in the church. So that's that. And I encourage people to come, to try and come to the service beforehand, because by being present at the service, even though you went to liturgy in the morning, that's good, but being present just before a talk and the grace that one gets, it actually opens them up better to understand the talk. And that's why I do the service beforehand, is because it helps you go into a better spiritual mood to be able to absorb things uh, within the, um, the talk and, and, and things like that. Thank you for your attention. And I'm, it's pleasing that a lot of you are sacrifice it and and you know you could be doing something else but you decide to come which is good but don't think it's enough just to listen if you're not going to put what i say into practice or what the church says through the elders into practice i would advise you don't come i'm not here for numbers because i know it's going to damage you the reason what i'm doing is that people put into practice and start seeking the salvation of their soul. That's the purpose. Not here to collect donations. I'm not here to have numbers. I'm here for people to receive benefit. That's my aim, to receive benefit, for you people to receive benefit and, and struggle towards the salvation of your soul. Through the prayers of Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Christ, save us. Amen.